Good evening, everybody. Uh, we're going to reconvene now at 6.04 p.m. And I have a report out of closed session. Uh, number one, uh, the board took action to appoint Julie Pack, elementary school princ assistant principal, effective July 1, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Freeman, second by Mrs. Blades, and that carried 5-0. Number two, the board took action to appoint Matthew Calloway, middle school assistant principal, effective July 1, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Anderson, second by Mr. Youngblood, and that motion carried 5-0. Number three, the board took action to appoint Dana Griffiths, supervisor of payroll, effective April 6, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Blade, second by Mrs. Freeman, and uh, that uh, motion was uh, passed 5-0. Number four, the board took action to appoint Janelle Gandy, high school counselor, effective July 1, 2022. Motion by Mr. Youngblood, second by Mrs. Blades. That motion carried 5-0. Number five, the board took action to appoint Nancy Nguyen, high school counselor, effective July 1, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Anderson, second by Mr. Youngblood, and that carried 5-0. Number six, the motion to, or the board took action to appoint Lindsay Taylor, high school counselor, effective July 1, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Blade, second by Mrs. Anderson, and that passed 5-0. Number seven, the board met and voted to approve the stipulated expulsion agreement between the Placentia Urbalinda Unified School District and the parents of uh, student number 2209C3. Motion by Mrs. Anderson, second by Mrs. Freeman, and that passed 5-0. Number eight, the board met and voted to approve the stipulated expulsion agreement between the Placentia Yorbalanda Unified School District and the parents of 5510C3. That motion was by Mr. Youngblood and seconded by Mrs. Freeman, and that passed 5-0. And lastly, the board met and voted to approve the stipulated expulsion agreement between the Placentia Yorbalanda Unified School District and the parents of student 2211B. A motion by Mrs. Freeman, second by Mrs. Blades, and that passed 5-0. And that's our report out of closed session. And Mrs. Blades, will you lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? I will stand and pledge this great nation. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And the roll call, um, all of our board members are present, including our student board member there. Welcome back. And then we need to move on to the approval of the agenda. If I could have a motion in a second. I'll make a motion to approve the April 5th, 2022 Board of Education agenda as recommended by the superintendent. Second. Okay, any changes or anything? To, uh -huh. Okay, so we'll make the uh, vote on that. All those in favor? Aye. aye. And opposed? Motion carries 5-0 with an aye from our student board member as well. Okay, so um, this is our public comment announcement. Uh, we have forms available in the foyer, and um, we have a maximum, or we have a, a, they need to be completed and turned in prior to the time designated for the public comment. We'll provide a maximum of 30 minutes for public comment and a maximum of five minutes per person. And if translation is needed, an, an, an additional five minutes will be given. Um, we do have, and I want to remind you all, we have a full room um, that we have a civility policy, and that's Education Code 220 that prohibits discrimination on the basis of disability, gender, gender identity, gender expression, nationality, race, or, or ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, or any 
other characteristic that is contained in the definition of hate crimes set forth in section 422.55 of the penal code, uh, in, including immigration status. Um, so we do have 45, 46 speakers today. And I'd like um, to recommend that we do a minute each as we have before, if that's okay. Okay, great. Okay, so before we do that, we'll go to our uh, minutes, including our past minutes. I'll make a motion to approve the regular meeting on March 8, 2022, as recommended by the superintendent. Anybody have any comments or changes? No? Okay, so we'll take a vote on that. All those in favor? Aye. 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 And opposed? Motion carries 5 0, and I from our student board member. And for the March 23rd meeting. I'll make a motion to approve the minutes of the special meeting on March 23rd, 2022, as recommended by the superintendent. I'll second. Okay, any comments or changes on that? Okay, so motion by Mrs. Blade, second by Mr. Young, valid. All those in favor? Favor? Aye. <laughs> and opposed? Okay, motion carries. And you weren't here for our meeting, so we won't do that. All right, so that brings us to public hearing. Um, today we're having a public hearing that will be held pursuant to Education Code 52062B1 to hear community input on the proposed A through G completion improvement grant plan. And is there anybody that wants to speak on that? Um, we'll open the public hearing at 6 p.m. Okay. All right, so nothing specific to that. So I'm going to close our public hearing at 6.10. And that takes us to our student board report. Good evening, President Buck, trustees, Superintendent Dr. Alsasser, Executive Cabinet, and members of the audience. I'm happy to be here tonight to share recent happenings from our comprehensive high schools and alternative schools. Buena Vista Virtual Academy seniors, juniors, and even a sophomore are graduating. This year marks the largest graduation class formerly in Toronto High School has ever had. Um, the online school will have 77 students earning diplomas um, this spring. Many of these students have been able to finish their high school credits already and graduate early and many will be graduating high school with community college credits. They also have five juniors graduating this year and one sophomore will be graduating this June with a double A in Fullerton College. It is clear that BUVBA allows high school students the flexibility to reach their future goals. Um, El Camino Real is committed to providing students with both college and career ready skills over the past three years, students have been given the opportunity to, opportunity to earn a food handler certificate at no cost. Developed by the National Restaurant Association, the Serve Safe program materials reflect the latest science, up-to-date regulatory information, and FDA food code. Students ultimately complete an online exam requiring a minimum score of 70%. To date, 74 El Camino students have earned this certification, 26, have which, uh, so 26 of which have been this school year. And what's the benefit is a majority of the students seek their first employment in the food service industry, so they're able to apply an interview already having completed the essential training. Um, another career preparation opportunity coming up at El Camino in May is a field trip to the International Printing Museum in Carson for all the digital design students. Students will embark on a visual journey through the graphic world of printing, beginning with the invention of paper and through the introduction of the printing process. Um, El Dorado High School 
Tennessee. Imagine a night where students, families, and Golden Hawks come together to share what it's like to go to El Dorado High School. Our on March 23rd, future Golden Hawk Night celebrated hundreds of incoming eighth grade students from all over the district and beyond who will be a part of the incoming class of 2026 at El Dorado. This group was a part of so much in just a couple of hours. They saw the school's nationally ranked cheer and song teams perform, the award-winning dance team, theater, vocal ensemble, and even El Dorado's ASB put on a show for these future Golden Hawks. The El Dorado High School Color Guard and Drumline closed out the night to a roaring applause from students and families. And, activities, and the activities director shares the following quote, you know it's a great night when parents say they wish they could go back to high school. The spirit never sleeps at El Dorado. Um, on Esperan uh, April 6th, Esperanza High School will host their annual Aztec Experience event to show the incoming freshman families everything there is to know about being an Aztec. The experience starts at 6 p.m. and is on campus. And Esperanza is also in the middle of planning our prom. This is a highly anticipated event that will take place on Saturday, April 30th at the Diamond Bar Center in Diamond Bar. And students are so excited to have a more traditional prom plan this year. Um, George Key students recently celebrated the beginning of spring with a kickball and bubble party at the park. Lots of fun was had by all, and the St. Patrick's Day kickball game was enjoyed by staff and students alike, with community members cheering them on in the background. George Key rocks. Um, on April 7th, Parkview will host families for open house from 4 to 5.30 p.m. Families will have the opportunity to interact with various math and science activities, explore Lego robotics, and visit the school's Leadership and National Honor Society booth, which will be hosting an activity as well. Valencia High School's Future Business Leaders of America recently had its most successful competition in its history. The competitors took second in sweepstakes, which was no small feat, with just 53 students competing against Oxford Academy's massive chapter of 124 students. Tigers took home eight first place awards, six second place awards, and three third place awards. Um, Valencia High School's academic decathlon team recently placed third in Division II at the state academic decathlon competition. This puts Valencia in the top 20 schools in California and scoring higher than many Division I schools. And then finally, Yorba Linda, Yorba Linda High School is excited to host its annual eighth grade roundup on April 6th. This night invites all incoming eighth graders to tour the campus and learn more about all the programs the school has to offer. Your Valletta High School looks forward to meeting all of their future Mustangs. And the school's spring musical, Mamma Mia, just wrapped up after back-to-back sold-out shows. Congratulations are in order to the theater department's talented performers on a fantastic production. Thank you, Quinn. That's a great report. Um, and I really like that you included George Key and Venture Academy in there, too snippet of what they're doing. Um, so I have a question for you tonight for all of us. Um, can you share with us some of the opportunities that PYL USD has given you over the years to grow as a student and as a leader? Well, um, being a part of ASB has definitely helped me grow my leadership skills. Um, in the past, I was freshman class president and have been class president up until my senior year. And this year, I am currently serving as ASB president at Esperanza High School. Um, being a part of the district, having this opportunity, being a student board representative has helped me grow my leadership skills in a way that I never thought I would have the opportunity to have. Um, I'm also a part of the Superintendent's Advisory Council, which helps me make connections with other students around the district. And like I would have never met those people, and we still actually keep in contact outside of the council. 
Um, I was also a part of the Principals Advisory Council a few years ago, which helped me kind of connect with our underclassmen instead of just my own class specifically, which I'm very familiar with. Um, I was also invited to Hobie, which as a sophomore, um, it's a, a student, it's a leadership convention off campus during the summer, but sadly that got shut down. Um, it was the summer of sophomore and junior year. Um, and then all of my AP classes have really helped me grow as a student, learning different types of material, and especially going in depth, and all of my teachers are really, like, they really helped me a lot. And I also got the opportunity to study abroad in Europe um, my freshman year with my Spanish teacher, and we went to three separate countries. I got to explore the food, the culture, everything, and that definitely helped me as a student, just seeing the different perspectives around the world. Quite impressive. I like to hear that. That's great. So thanks for sharing. Um, and Dr. El Sasser takes us to our superintendent's report. Good evening, President Buck, trustees, and executive cabinet members. On March 29th and 30th, El Dorado High School hosted the Southern California School Band and Orchestra Association's Festival at the PYL USD Performing Arts Center. Our very own middle and high schools competed amongst other schools from across Southern California in front of a panel of esteemed adjudicators. The PAC served as the perfect venue for such a distinguished event, and our student musicians performed exceptionally. Superiors and other high markings were seen across the board. A special thank you is in order for our talented music teachers who equip our students with the knowledge and skills to perform so magnificently. I had the pleasure of attending Esperanza High School's varsity baseball game versus Los Alamitos High School at Angel Stadium of Anaheim on March 30th. Sat in the stands to cheer on the Aztecs among a large crowd of spirited supporters from both schools. It was exciting to watch our student athletes compete on a major league stadium. The final score after eight innings was 3-3. Next, after a two-year-long pause due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we look forward to hosting our annual student recognition ceremony in April and our annual community honoree ceremony in May. Our school sites are currently in the process of identifying individuals to be recognized by trustees. Each event is sure to offer an enjoyable time to come together and celebrate the achievements of our skilled students and the commitment of our devoted volunteers. We recently received exciting news from the Orange County Business Journal. Our very own Assistant Superintendent, Rick Lopez, was identified as a 2022 Distinguished Leader in Human Resources. A profile. Mr. Lopez is included in the Orange County Business Journal published on March 28th, where he is featured alongside other human resources leaders who have a positive, had a positive impact on the Orange County community. Mr. Lopez has diligently served in the role of Assistant Superintendent since 2018, but first began his career with PYLUSD in 1994. He is responsible for planning, organizing, and directing our comprehensive human resources program for over 2,800 employees and is certainly deserving of this prestigious recognition. So congratulations again. And lastly, spring break is right around the corner, starting on April 11th. So I want to wish our students, staff, and families a restful and fun break with loved ones. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Dr. Assessor. Okay, so um, next we do communication and board report. And I'll start down at the end with Mrs. Freeman. Okay. Um, Thank you. Um, it's spring break next week. However, I get to go to ROP next week because with my school districts, they don't always match up on 
spring break. And so that's where I will be next Wednesday. But um, I did want to share something. Um, I, first of all, participated in the interviews last week for the student of the year for our district. Each of the five districts will go through that. They'll have their nominees and then their interview. And I was on a panel of uh, three with um, those interviews. And um, I just wanted to say that that was um, so impressive. Um, I, I know that as we would, as we, the panelists, when we concluded, we were talking about the caliber of students that we saw and how um, amazing they were. And uh, we felt that in, in some cases they really, um, they felt, it was like you were interviewing someone, at least in college, they really had the, the confidence and, um, and certainly interesting skills and other things to share with us. That was very encouraging. Also, I just had it um, delivered. I don't have one for everyone at this time. I'm hoping to get some. But I just wanted to say, speaking again of RLP, that and I'll pass one down and then I'll see if you can see it. But, um, the uh, California COSA organization, which is the Health Occupations, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on it. Maybe someone will bring it up for me. But, but it is, we have our medical academy at Esperanza, and they have a, a uh, student organization, and it is referred to as HOSA. And this is a uh, national organization. And um, each year there is a pin contest for all the affiliated HOSA membership chapters. And uh, the pins, which these pins um, are designed uh, and submitted to the state for judging as to whether it is the one that they feel represents our entire state. Because um, in uh, June, there is going to be the International Leadership Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, so this person, and I'll tell you a bit about her, submitted her design. And it has won the state uh, pin design. It is, uh, in short form to tell you, it says Calhosa, it says 2021. It is the state flower, the California poppy, a little bit of glitter thrown in there that makes those poppies pop. And the circle around it is a stethoscope. So it's very, very cleverly done. And um, the student who has received this uh, honor is Alexis Benavides, who is a senior at Esperanza, and she submitted her entry, not expecting, of course, that it would ultimately be selected, but the design will be on the pin as well as the t-shirt that are worn at the conference uh, later in June. And um, she said that, um, or it says in the information I received, that um, when they have a pin exchange at the conference, it's, it's the hot commodity, and usually California's pin is the one that is most sought. And so it's quite an honor for one of our students to have been selected with her design, and she went on to explain how carefully she integrated um, all the, the necessary parts that she felt were critical for her design. So uh, continuing on, um, I was at the annual Holocaust and Art Writing Contest at Chapman University, and that's sponsored by... Chapman, the 1939 Society, the Samuele Foundation, and uh, Yossi and Dana Hollander. And this is um, an annual event, except we've had a hiatus because of uh, COVID. 
but once again, they have resumed it. Uh, and I want to say how um, how wonderful it is to be there and, and realize that our district has every one of our middle schools and every one of our high schools um, participating. They each have had entries in this. Um, Mrs. Buck was there. Dr. Adamson was there. Uh, two of our other individuals were there from our, our leadership team. Uh, and of course, some teachers and uh, staff were present. And they enter um, in the four areas, prose, film, poetry, or art. And so anyway, it was, it was a wonderful event to finally have resuming. Um, as has been mentioned, we've been having various performances lately because of the festival and the pretty festival um, coming up, or, or in fact, it just occurred. So I was able to see the pre-festival concert and a clinic combined at uh, Tommy Lasorda Fieldhouse for Yorba Linda Middle School. And that was uh, the musical director there is Mr. Matt LaBelle. And then uh, skipping ahead to the 29th, um, I was also over at performing the Performing Arts Center at El Dorado to uh, catch the performance of Northland High School under the direction of Vincent Garcia. Um, Shamrock Run, we have, I think, one of our, didn't you get a award? I think, yeah, you, think you did. <laughs> you, can, you can tell, you can tell about that. Um, but that was, that was again, another item that's come back, and it was a wonderful morning, and I only did the 2K. You were more ambitious, but congratulations. Um, so that was, again, just wonderful. And the REACH Foundation, um, I can't compliment them enough in all the organization and all the planning and the work that goes into that. I was at Bryant Ranch to see the elementary school's performance of The Wizard of Oz, and that was really fun. I can't say how much fun that was. Um, again, the REACH Foundation, I want to compliment them on the fact that um, they have been visiting all of our high schools, and I was at Valencia, the day it rained heavily over it <laughs> last Monday, um, but they have been bringing in uh, vintage cromware and jewelry for students, and the students may select a dress or a jacket, uh, some jewelry, um, and so they have, I think they had one today, I think the last one was tomorrow, it will be I was at Brookhaven Elementary last Friday, and again, the school spirit is so up. Everyone, I think, is feeling not only the, the approaching spring break, but also I think that um, there's now kind of a feel of we're getting back a little bit of our sense of being normal, as normal is nowadays. And so I really had a, a good time visiting classrooms there, also out on the playground during the PE, a time for, I believe it was kindergartners or first graders, I'm trying to recall now. Um, and again, had a chance to talk to teachers. Um, so uh, I'm just going to say that, oh, and I do want to say something, because there have been concerns, and I understand there have been concerns about um, brain pop. That is something that's come up. But in one of the interviews that I had last week for the student of the year for ROP um, from our district, she cited that, um, that she honed her interest in health sciences brain pop. She could not say enough in her application about how much that helped and inspired her. She had already been interested in the field of medicine, but this, I guess, kind of fed that even further and really further motivated her. So I just wanted to let you know that this is, this is something that translates very well for some of the students. Um, so I just want to say um, there's nothing like being out in school or being at a school event to make you feel 
really good and realize why we're here and doing what we're doing. I'm sorry it took so long. Thank you. Have a good spring break. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, in my board report tonight, um, I first want to send my deepest condolences to the family and staff and students that were involved in the tragedy uh, at Kramer Middle School recently. There's no easy way to explain why this happened or how it will affect people that were closely associated to Mr. Placencia. I'm thankful that the district rushed in with highly qualified mental health counselors in order to provide uh, support staff uh, to the staff and students during this difficult time. But I believe more can be done to support the staff and students of the district for now and in the future. And a few of these are just some, some recommendations of, of my uh, observing uh, how this might be uh, progressed, I guess. Uh, so the district website, one. I don't know if anybody has really been kind of uh, maneuvering themselves through the district website, but um, I felt it was a little uh, difficult to kind of navigate, uh, especially where the mental health resources were to be found. Uh, so I don't know if anybody else had that, that issue. Um, I do know that there is a school-based program called uh, Outreach Concern uh, and one outside uh, school source called uh, Care Solace. Uh, both of these programs are, are amazing in the fact that they have great information on mental health wellness, uh, which includes suicide, uh, depression, anxiety, and they can also direct, uh, direct you to uh, counselors to, to kind of help alleviate some of these things. Um, there was also uh, an unusual type of organizational chart on, uh, that, on our website that I felt was confusing. Um, it looked like it... Um, had um, uh, directions to people who were in charge uh, of some of these programs, but it didn't really give more information of how you could contact them personally. So I, I was hoping that uh, maybe that would be something we'd look at. Uh, also, the situation um, was, this whole situation was different than if it were um, somebody that was depressed or somebody had an eating disorder or something of like that. This was a uh, a very dynamic situation in which um, I would I would almost call it like a um, mass casualty or mass trauma or critical incident, and um, it made me question um, what were what are the qualifications were for the response team that that went out there. And I know as a parent, I'd probably want to know what those qualifications were. Um, so, and how I would find these qualifications, these, these people that are working closely with students and staff that uh, may have an issue. So I thought maybe ways that we could improve this um, is to, to first kind of uh, redesign or look at designing our website to include maybe a portal specifically for mental health that is easily identifiable and possibly permanently attach the National Suicide Prevention number. Um, so when you pop up our, our district website, it's at the bottom or somewhere that it's easily accessible to. Um, also a review of the organizational chart uh, in order to make it less confusing for, um, you know, not just our, our, ourselves, but parents and, and students that may want to get, uh, get some more questions. Um, maybe add information about uh, the school-based crisis response team 
uh, including their qualifications and possibly uh, maybe some um, identifying pictures because I really don't know who's involved in it. I think parents might want to know who it is that, uh, you know, uh, is doing some of this investigation and so forth. Um, other ways uh, would be to reach out to national organizations uh, that do evaluations on programs similar to ours in order to maybe evaluate um, ways to, to possibly network with other districts that have had similar episodes or to uh, improve our current um, program. So in the last few weeks, I've, I've met and spoke with several different people con, uh, with different concerns and perspectives when it comes to mental health. I believe we need our mental health support for staff and students there all the time and to be ready. Uh, considering the current climate of problems in this world and the incredibly difficult two years that we've had, uh, leaving us with the kind of, um, I'm going to say a COVID PTSD. I believe um, ways to support the district to present to be in the future. Um, and I would also like people that have these ideas to give us more recommendations, give us ideas in which we can help uh, improve this. Um, other than that, uh, that's going to be the end of my report. report. Thank you. Well, I was going to say I attended the Shamrock Run. <laughs> I wasn't even going to talk about the place. I did play second for my age group. So my kids, <laughs> my kids when I came with the medal, they really liked the mustache Mike's gift card, which, you know, they're going to be utilizing. But um, they said you got second overall, and I said, oh, so I did not get second overall. I got second in my age group. But um, <laughs> I don't even know. I used to run Baker to Vegas years ago. Um, you know, and as a police officer, and just looking at my time and the time, you know, from eight or ten years ago, um, it's definitely slowed down. So <laughs> I really felt my age, my hip hurt after the run. <laughs> but hey, it was for a good cause. So um, it was really good seeing everyone out there. Um, Marilyn with her bum hand. Uh, <laughs> so um, it was a good time had by all. And just so you guys know, if anybody's interested, you can actually shop afterwards. There was a very cute boutique there, so it's kind of win-win. And I wanted to know how do I explain after the end of the run that somehow I was able to purchase items. So what I tried to explain when I got home to my husband was I said, well, I got second in my age group, so I was able to select some clothing also. That's part of the <laughs> But it didn't, it didn't fly. Um, so thank you, Karen. Thank you for that. Um, the one thing that um, really was brought to my um, attention over the past couple weeks was um, the condition of the Esperanza Theater. And um, I've been told that some of the students, when they come home, um, sometimes they kind of have a stench to their clothing because they um, believe there's some molding and there's been some water damage and some issues in there. And so I was wondering if we can um, have some attention at the Esperanza Theater, maybe see if it needs a complete renovation um, or what's going on with that, because I know that we have three spectacular theaters at our other high schools. And so I'm always sorry, Mr. Giordano, that I come to you with needing more money. But um, I do think that we should be looking at the arts. Um, we've had, like um, Mr. Young was saying, we've had two really hard years. And so like, let's get the kids back into a good theater um, and get some of the performances um, Get some of the performances going in a really nice theater and um, bring it back to what um, it once was. 
and I think I'm going to be taking a tour maybe either before spring break or after spring break just to take a look just to kind of like get to know the program and stuff so um so that's kind of I've been speaking with the boosters about that um another um thing that I brought up during the last CRT um study session was people were asking me what are, what were you talking about about the pacing guidelines or pacing guides and so it's just something that um I think it's a good idea. I talked to a lot of the teachers, talked to some students and parents, and um, basically pacing guides is um, sometimes quarterly, semester, and it just basically um, lays out what every grade um, subjects and stuff, what you, you have like a pacing guide. Like this is what you do. This is the books you're reading. These are worksheets. And it's not as stringent, but it basically just makes sure that the whole district is, in, uh, is equitable, that every first grade and every school that they're learning the same things, every second grade, um, and so parents were very, um, very interested in that because they have said too. sometimes um, teachers or parents go, oh, I really want this person to have this teacher because they do this. And it might not be exactly what another teacher does. So I'm hoping that we can look into some pacing guides um, and maybe getting the whole district um, on board with that because it kind of seems like with the word equity kind of floating around like it does, it does seem like that would be the equitable approach that all of our students at all of the schools are following the same um, curriculum and same guides. And then I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be short tonight. Um, another one of the things that came up as well was um, after the last workshop and some of the emails we were getting, we were being asked um, by students and my parents, why are you guys trying to um, delete history? Why are you trying to remove stuff from our curriculum? Why are you trying to, uh, you know, do things to the curriculum that would lose our AP certification? And so I just wanted to make it known up here and what I've told some students too, um, and the parents and everything, nothing that we discussed was going to remove anything from the curriculum. Nothing would be done to um, affect or harm our AP certification. It was just basically talking about we don't teach um, critical race theory through that type of lens. Um, and so I did talk to some people and I said, well, where are you guys hearing some of this from? And so I think what, what after the last couple of days, some of the emails we were getting, there were some students that were emailing that were so adamant that this is what we had talked about and this is what we were going to be doing. That MLK, um, Rosa Parks, the Japanese internment camps, all of this stuff was not going to be discussed anymore. And so I asked, I said, where are you hearing this from? Because in all of our board meetings and our study sessions, We've always said this is not going to be removed. And they said, well, our teachers are telling us that. And so I think sometimes you have, I think everybody just needs to be cognizant in the classroom. I think this is kind of a good example of how students really take what teachers say as fact. And so that was very like, that stuck out to me after the last couple days is that they were being told and, and they were writing emails to us. It was, um, like a lot of them were just like adamant we were doing it and they took what their teacher said as fact. And so I told them, I said, look, look back. I can promise you that's never been discussed. Um, and so that was just kind of one thing I want to make clear tonight is that that was never an intention. I think we've made it clear. This whole board has made that clear. Um, and so, yeah, so um, that's about it. I think I'm going to be watching um, a lot of swim and a lot of baseball in the next couple weeks. Um, and I hope everybody has a great spring break. Many of you know I'm on the executive committee for uh, Love Placentia, 
and Black Ascension Shears had some leadership changes. And so, because we want to serve in Placentia, we have joined forces with Love Your Belinda. And um, we're very excited to be having a serve day on April 30th. Um, it will be throughout Placentia and Your Belinda. We'll be at schools, parks, nonprofits. And the website is open. There are projects that you can sign up for now, as well as I believe the Placentia projects are going to be going live tomorrow. And I also want to let the students know that there's some leadership opportunities available um, for the youth. They're trying to, every site has a project leader, and they're trying to team up the project leaders with a, a youth leader so that they, the students can get leadership opportunities, and uh, this is a great way to get um, community service hours. So if you're interested, please go to loveyourbelinda.org and get more information. Also, there's been a lot of talk about um, state map framework. Um, they've been working on it, I believe, for three years. And it's now open for public display um, through May 16th. And you can go to math framework at cde.ca.gov and um, review it and, and put in your input. And uh, I know lots of parents are interested in that. Also, um, since our last meeting, I was able to participate in my first uh, legislative action week, and I met with Senator Josh Newman and a representative from Philip Chen's office, and we discussed school funding and other important topics that are of interest to our district. And I also was able to follow up with emails of other concerns, including um, the COVID vaccine bills that are currently circulating through the, the state's um, legislation. So, and express my views on that these bills were misguided. I did attend the Shamrock Run, but I did not run. <laughs> um, and I'm just so grateful for the REACH Foundation and all they do to support um, our students through special programs, and they have a long-standing history of support, and I'm grateful for them for the wonderful event. I also was able to attend the El Dorado Orchestra Spotlight Dinner and Conference, and my husband and I enjoyed a lovely evening of music and a lasagna dinner. Um, I attended a few um, sporting events, a track and field meet at Valencia, and a girls lacrosse game at El Dorado. And it was just fun to see our student athletes perform to their best. Also, I witnessed my first um, Socratic seminar at Yorba Linda High School AP Lit. As always, I'm so impressed by our students and I love watching them discuss issues and try to get a deeper meaning of the American dream. And um, it was just really fun to be in that classroom and feel the excitement of the students and their passions. And last night I attended the elementary cooking competition. Um, it was so fun to see our elementary students um, cooking at Yorba Linda High School. And um, special congratulations to Delilah Hernandez from Rio Vista Elementary School. She won the competition with her, smelled so good, um, barbecue chicken chipotle and jalapeno sandwich. And um, she made the chipotle sauce from scratch. She roasted the peppers and everything. It was really amazing and it smelled great. And her, um, her the food that, she, her menu will, will be posted on um, our student menus and it will be 
her name will be as the um, author, I guess, as the chef of that dish, and it will be served at all of our elementary schools. Okay. One last final thought is um, each week I receive purchase orders and warrant lists for the week of expenditures, and then the board approves all those expenditures at our board meeting. And tonight there are item one and two on the consent calendar. And for the past year, I've been reviewing these expenses and approving them, and they're mostly filled with kind of boring stuff, utility bills, maintenance supplies, repairs, attorney fees, by Mr. Robbins, um, and of course, educational supplies, every imagine of your all imagination from paper to musical instruments. And over the last couple of months, I've noticed several additional expenditures that every time I want, read one of these, it brings a smile to my face. These expenditures are for field trips for Ten City, Riley's Farm, Aquarium of the Pacific, LA Zoo, Knott's Berry Farm, Tanaka Farms, Discovery Science Center, and more. And I know many of these trips um, are paid for and are only available because of our SR3 grant funds. And um, I'm just so excited for the many opportunities that our students will have this year. So I just want to end my comments tonight with a giant thank you. Thank you to our teachers and staff and parents that make these hands-on learning opportunities a reality for our students. Because without them, these field trips would not happen. And I know there's a lot of extra work that goes into place, and I want you to know that I notice your extra work, and I'm grateful for each one of you. Thank you. So luckily I'm at the end, so I, some of these I can skip over pretty quickly. Um, I was at the Holocaust um, Art and Writing Contest, and that one is a, a, a proud one for, for me when I go to that, to, to be a part of that. Um, but it's been a really, really busy um, last month, so I'll just kind of highlight some of the things I've done. Um, I've visited a lot of schools. I went to Bernardo Yorba in Esperanza. Um, right before Legislative Action Week, and I was able to participate when that was that as well. Um, and I spoke to um, Sharon Quirk-Silva, Stephen Choi, um, Philip Chen's um, staff member, and uh, Josh Newman, um, and shared uh, what's happening in our district. Um, there, I also attended uh, via online uh, the Yorba Linda High School WASC mid-cycle visit. Um, that was nice to participate as a parent, um, being able to to see all of the things that, um, that, this, that the school is doing in addition to what I see um, just as a parent. Um, went to Parkview School and visited there. Um, I attended the El Dorado and Yorba Linda High School baseball game that was at Angel Stadium, which was very awesome to watch. Um, and I'm not going to tell you who I was rooting for because I had to hop back and forth. Um, I went to Yorba Linda Middle School as well and did a walkthrough there. Shamrock and run. I did run. I certainly didn't get second place. Um, I was a, a lot slower, um, but it was nice to be out there. And a big shout out to Valadez and Ruby, uh, Ruby Drive. They had a lot of students from their two schools that were participating. They had the highest two numbers. Um, I attended the El Dorado Orchestra um, dinner and concert as well. And um, I was um, honored to to join the PTA Council for our um, Placentia Yorba Linda District and uh, provide lunch at Kramer uh, one afternoon to their to their staff. Um, I attended Ruby Drive and Topaz the same day, and then two days later I attended Rose Drive. And you talk about what's happening in the schools. I went from one class at, um, at Ruby 
and to another class at Topaz, both third grade, and then two days later at um, at Rose Drive, and they were all doing the same thing um, for language arts. I just happened to hit at the right time um, and saw all of that. So it was interesting to, to see that. But there's a lot of um, at the at, you know, the communication and, and things happening that are the same. Um, I, too, attended the Casa Culinary Arts. Um, that was really fun to watch and to see the kids get up there and present like you would at, at the chef competitions. They brought their plate up and talked about how they made it and what the ingredients were and took questions from the judges. Um, and then um, outside of the school district, um, I attended my first or second CNAC meeting, which is the California Nutrition Advisory Council meeting. Um, it's quite a long meeting. It was all on Zoom and it was a six hour day. That was very long, but we did um, build out a strategic plan and um, with a number of items that we're going to be tackling over the next couple of years and uh, collectively, and we're meeting again in May, but that one will be in Sacramento and in person. Um, I did want to point out that CSBA did not renew their NSBA uh, membership this year um, after their recommendations um, from delegates, and things, so they are hearing us, so that's great. And um, I was honored to be elected again to Delegate Assembly for the next two years and looking forward to that. And uh, the OCSBA dinner that's coming up in just a couple of weeks I'll be attending. And we do have a middle school track meet coming up too, so I'm looking forward to that. And that's the end of my report. Okay, so that next brings us to public comment. So we have a total of 55. So what I'm going to do, we have four seats in the front. Um, I'm going to call up four at a time and so that you can be ready. Uh, we'll do one minute. You'll have a timer available here. Um, at this point, we are no longer taking any public comment cards. Um, so for the next hour or so, we'll be going through these. So our first four speakers will be Linda Mannion, Dr. Lloyd Porter, Camille Kong and Josh Schroeder. And I want to remind everybody in the audience, we're going to give everybody the opportunity to speak and to be heard. So please keep your voices down so that we can hear everyone. Thank you. So uh, Linda Mannion, we'll start with you. Good evening. During the week of May 1st to May 7th, we will be celebrating Teacher Appreciation Week throughout the district. I want to take this time to publicly thank our educators. As their Apple president, I've been continually impressed by their ingenuity, their resilience, their passion, and their strength as they have navigated unprecedented challenges over the past two years. <clears throat> Through their incredible efforts, they have mastered new instructional strategies and engaged students in creative and innovative ways, which will continue to enhance their education in the future. They have done all of this while juggling the effects of COVID-19 on their own families and personal lives as well. When our educators were asked to step up, they did it again and again and again. I want to thank them for never giving up on our students, for making the impossible possible, and giving our students the tools they need to meet the challenges ahead. Thank you. Lloyd Porter, you're next. 41 years, that's how long my career was in this school district. 53 years as a resident of this community. 
This district was earmarked as one of the better school districts in Orange County. It ran smoothly on confidence and compromise. Now it seems to be bogged down with conflict, controversy, and contention. For a small break from this onslaught of contention, my faith held its semi-annual general conference this past weekend. I was blessed and somewhat calm to hear the main message, reject conflict and call for peace. I'm not only calling for the end of conflict, but I call for compromise and sanity. Setting aside egos and ambition, back to normal can prevail. Haven't we all been through enough? in the last few years. Putting personal politics in the way of our children's education is not proper. There's no CRT being taught in this district, nor has there been any attempt or effort to do so. This is a form of fear monitoring, and it needs to stop. And if you wouldn't mind, please um, repeat your name when you get up to the podium so that we can make a note and, and hear you. Hi, my name is Camille Palm. Parents, stop in trustees. You may have children of your own, and you know when they're in trouble, they cry. So they cry for our aid, and I want you to hear my cry and hear our cry. I've been here four times now, and I've addressed your concerns, and I've told you how much this ban could affect us. I've been compliant to the parents who yell at me that I'm being adopted, that I quote, don't know what racism is, and that I hate my country, which is all false. Ms. Anderson, you're right. I don't want to be put on a hierarchical list of oppression, but CRT does not do that. It recognizes my hardships. Ms. Blades, you're right. Teachers shouldn't single out white students, but CRT does not do that. It asks everyone to recognize their own bias. So what is this bill? This isn't CRT. And if you say teachers are oppressing white students, then ban racism, then ban something substantial, ban oppressing students. Why are you labeling these things as CRT? Again, CRT does not ask you to agree with it, it is merely an ideology. So please, I'm asking you, don't disappoint me. And this discussion isn't over. Hey, my name is Josh Rader. I'm a parent of two district students, and I also did not place in the Shamrock. <laughs> um, Resolution 2112 is a template for conducting witch hunts. There is no way to tell the difference between someone who's using CRT or, quote, other similar frameworks, unquote, versus someone who is just talking about racism. The ban specifies no appeals process. It provides no limits on punishment. Let me give an example. The resolution defines part of CRT as, quote, acknowledging that racism is embedded within systems and institutions that replicate racial inequality, codified in law, unquote. At the study session on March 23rd, Trustee Anderson said, quote, now, were there structural racial things put into our Declaration of Independence? Yes, unquote. She precisely acknowledged that racism was codified in the founding documents of our country. Trustee Anderson, by this resolution's wording, I find you guilty of practicing CRT and demand your resignation from the board. I know that sounds ridiculous, and Trustee Anderson, I apologize, but nothing in the resolution stops that kind of witch hunt from being applied to any teacher, student, or board member. I urge the board to vote no on this vague and dangerous ban. Nathan Lee, Joelle Wong, and Matthew Jones. And we'll start with Anita. Okay, to introduce myself again, I'm Anita. Okay. If, as Mrs. Blades just said, nothing will change, then why this resolution? 
What are we afraid of that the board's proposing censorship in education? The resolution doesn't even define what it's banning. Critical race theory examines how systemic bias in our social institutions leads to different outcomes for different races. I'm Korean American, and I confess that in some ways my race has benefited from systemic bias. My family's business was almost destroyed in the 1992 Los Angeles riots. There was a lot of tension then between whites and blacks and between Korean Americans and blacks. A high school student then, I could have naively blamed one race or that this race or that race for what happened to my family. But that would have been really short-sighted. You know why? Because there was systemic bias in commerce and the labor market and, the criminal, and in the criminal justice system that favored Asian Americans over black Americans. Asians could easily get business licenses to own and operate stores in black and Hispanic communities where Please they could your remarks. And an Asian owner the time is up. You have to conclude your remarks. Got zero prison time for shooting a black man girl. The, for you need to conclude your remarks. I understand that. You need to conclude your remarks. Thank you. And how is that dangerous? Ma'am. Thank you. Our next speaker is Nathan. I understand everybody will want to go a little over their time if, if they're not quite finished, but we really are going to stick to the one minute so everybody is heard equally. My name is Nathan Lee. Thank you for having me here. I just want to start off by saying that when I was sitting here before the start of this meeting, I heard a man um, in support of the band say that these kids over here on the left side of the room have no idea what they're talking about. They can't vote. They don't have jobs. Or, like, Why do their opinions matter? Is essentially what he was saying in paraphrased terms. And I just want to ask you, who is education most pertinent to? It's most pertinent to those who are being educated. As students, I think that we have a right to voice our concerns. That's the reason why I'm here. I'm not a sponge as a person in support of the band would assert. I'm here because I'm a proponent and I'm an advocate for free thought and education. And a teacher in my school once said that as an educator, her obligation is to provide me with education and a holistic understanding of my history, regardless of her political platforms. I just want to encourage you all to understand that CRT is not an attack on the white race. It's just merely trying to educate us as students about topics of segregation and how we can analyze historical trends and avoid um, these kinds of situations in the future. Thank you. Hi, my name is Joelle Wong, and I would like to thank the district for this time. This district was founded on knowledge and opportunity but this ban will remove these two values. As a student, I reasonably expect that my district will protect my education, but this ban will do the opposite. Not only is it ignorance fighting more ignorance, but it is endangering my education. Your mission statement is to provide all students with a relevant and rigorous educational experience, but this ban will get rid of that. Our tradition of excellence will be removed because of this action. We are supposed to be needed, noticed, and nurtured. But this ban will undermine those values, and our education will not be protected. So please, listen to your student voices. Please protect our education. Please don't interfere with our tradition of excellence, and please vote against this ban. And up on deck is Sarah Phillips, Avery Yang. There's two names there. You actually, 
you would need to have separate statements. So I guess when we get up to that, Avery Yang and Tiana Zhang, um, Carrie Brunel, and Andy Falco. Matthew, you go ahead. Thank you, Board. Uh, my name is Matthew Jones. I'm president of the Turning Point USA chapter at Esperanza High School. And I'm very concerned about this critical race theory. Basically, it's an ideology that was uh, formed at the Frankfurt School in Germany uh, and heavily influenced by Karl Marx, a Prussian uh, philosopher, whatever you want to call him. Uh, it's basically taught, and this whole rhetoric is that some races should be um, inferior or should be considered inferior, and that some races should be considered more superior based on their skin color. Now, this is inherently racism. This is exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. taught against, that we should teach people based, or that we should treat people based on the concepts of their character, not on their skin color. And it goes against the teachings of Jesus, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're going to consider, you know, the basis of skin color. When I'm trying to, you know, talk to somebody, that's, that's, that's racist. And it goes against the core of American values. So, I implore every single board member to vote against this bill. Uh, it's harmful to American principles and uh, moral principles. I'm Sarah Phillips. Good evening, everybody. Uh, for April, the Yorba High School Library has physical and virtual displays for Autism Awareness Month. April is also National Poetry Month, and we have various poetry activities students can take part in, both in person and online. And this year, we added a third recognition, Arab American Heritage Month. This is an area the library needs to build more, but we have a pretty good start with a book display set up in an online area for students to explore on the library website. And there'll be pictures of all these displays on the um, YLHS Facebook page by the end of this week. They're not up yet. Uh, on the topic of diversity, it's not a bad word. There is strength in diversity. Having diverse stories in a school library or a classroom benefits every student. Uh, for one, students can see themselves in literature and that really matters. Also, students can read stories outside their own experiences and that creates empathy. Resolution 2112 is an effort to censor and silence. Efforts to silence teachers and voices of our diverse students are wrong. I oppose this resolution. Are you reading together or? We're reading together. Okay. Okay. You have one? And we're going to have one minute for both of you together. Okay. Go ahead. Good evening. Our names are Avery Yang and Avery, Tiana Jones. Speak up a little bit or, or closer. I'm sorry, Tiana, could you speak a little louder? Thank you. Good evening. Our names are Avery Yang and Tiana Jones. We are both eighth graders currently attending Kramer Middle School. Today, we brought a petition signed by over 550 of our fellow students opposing the critical race theory ban. We were moved to create this petition because we value the opportunity to learn about history as it is. Teaching race-related topics is not about blaming any one group. Instead, it is trying to understand different perspectives, especially those different from our own, so we can understand how past history affects our current society. This is critically important for us as the next generation do not repeat past mistakes. Please do not pass the ban. Thank you. I'm Carrie Brunel, and I was here two weeks ago and listened to that meeting. 
I was left so confused. You say you want to ban CRT, which isn't being taught in the district, but you don't want to change any of the curriculum. So what are you really voting for? It was said that racism doesn't exist anymore in America, yet during that meeting, a lady in the audience told me that the AP program was for Asian students. And if you guys don't like being called racist, then you shouldn't make it so easy for us to point it out to you. Wow. Obviously, this whole CRT circus is political for Blades. I feel like I should not know her pol uh, politics, but she parrots the extreme right-wing party. This extreme party is constantly telling other people not to be sheep, but all they all sound the same, and all they do is follow. To quote Donald Trump, I love the uneducated. Don't let this be the start of dumbing down the kids. And by the way, the AP College Board is the one who's saying that AP will not be valid. Thank you. Nick Fernandez, Michelle Waterworth, Kristen Mortensen, excuse me, Kristen Mortensen, and Michelle Almeida. Andy Falco Jimenez. A couple weeks ago in this very room, we actually had people responsible for our children's education look up the meaning of systemic. Is it any wonder our children are scoring so poorly? We have been at this for several months, and it was just then, two weeks ago, that they finally looked up a key word in regard to CRT, and they apparently did not understand the know the meaning of it until just two weeks ago. That is almost as absurd as when those in favor of CRT try to claim that we plan on burning books. Why would we do that? <laughs> With those books, it will be important to show students the lies and contrast between Marxism, socialism, and communism against our amazing constitutional republic. It is as absurd as the thought that slavery, Japanese internment camps, the slaughter of indigenous inhabitants will not be taught. You cannot teach truthful and honest U.S. history without teaching students about these atrocities. It is as absurd as teaching kindergarten to third grade graders that sex education. Over the past two years, we have been wasting time fighting against this nonsense and have done little to boost our children's education so that we can increase grading and graduation standards, not lower them. Please we have done our, uh, over the last couple of meetings, or standards. Tonight must be the night that we ban CRT. Hello, everybody. My name is, my name is Nicolas Fernandez. Uh, I am a resident of Yorba Linda. My kids go to Travis Ranch. I am um, against CRT. I am a Latino. But most of all, I'm an American. There's no colors. There's one nation and a gap. CRT teaches that racism is everywhere. CRT teaches that there are no individuals. Instead, one becomes a member of two different types of groups, the oppressor or the oppressed. I'm Latino. My wife is white. My kids are mixed. So I guess I'm oppressed. My wife is the oppressor. And I don't know what the kids, you know? <laughs> CRT is using skin color, basically, to create division and judge people. That's wrong, guys. What about character? What about the character? What about everybody at home starting to teach and show, basically, to be better human beings inside in society? You know, let's try to uh, teach our kids to contribute to society in a positive, self-sustaining, self-sustaining way, not in a devastating victimhood mentality where they want the system to provide them with everything in life and use color charts to get ahead in life too. CRT, critical race theory, the name says it all. It is just that, a theory. 
a theory that wants to further divide the American people. In no way am I against my children learning about other races and their contribution to building America. What I have a problem with is blaming the transgressions of the past on one race. There is not one person sitting in this room right now that had control over the race that they were born to be. Therefore, our children should not ever be made to feel responsible for the decisions that were made in the past. Please consider the impact this will have on every school climate. Do we really need to teach hate and division? Isn't there enough of that going around these days? I'm Kristen. Today I'm here to address the audience. Before you oppose or support this resolution, you should read it. How can you oppose or support something if you don't read it line for line? Don't trust what others say about it, but form your own opinion. I also want to address what the College Board has said. It said it will remove the AP designation from courses when required topics are banned. That's not happening. Let me read the third point. Whereas nothing in this resolution shall require any staff member to violate local, state, or federal law as well as education code. Then it goes on to say that teachers will rely on the Board of Education adopted curriculum as the authoritative source for the content of instruction to provide a comprehensive education. There are a lot of other things in this resolution that each and every one here tonight should read from a personal, not a group opinion, and form a personal, not a group opinion. Nothing in this resolution will prevent an AP teacher from teaching the required topics for their courses. Therefore, they will not lose their status. Diane K. Randall, Adam Smith, Ashley Ibrahim, and uh, Judy Desjardins. Uh, this, my name is Michelle Almeida, and I'm a parent and an educator. The proposed ban is censorship and politics and education. It has the potential to lead to lawsuits, a negative environment for teachers, and watered-down curriculum. We cannot ban educational thought because one group has politicized CRT. I would also like to draw your attention to the recent sabotage of a fundraiser for Diversify Our Narrative by people who don't agree with their purpose. This is unacceptable. This club has as much right to meet, speak, fundraise, and engage in our political system as Turning Point USA and other student clubs. We should commend these students for speaking, for saying what they believe, and for finding places where they belong on campus, which is really hard for kids, and for people to go out of their way to sabotage their fundraising efforts is it's unfathomable to me. Um, and I would like the board and the district to support all student groups and have their back when things like this happen. Censorship is a slippery slope, and if you pass this ban, that will be your legacy at PYLUSD. My name is Diane K. Randall, and I've done a lot of research on um, the CRT. I'm not going to get into that tonight, but uh, one of the things that I've learned is there's a lot of discrepancy between the people's history of the United States, which was written by a renowned socialist, Howard Zinn. He has since passed. He's no longer with us. But if you pull apart CRT, it doesn't mesh with the very facts that he put in this book. And I say to that, if there's too much inconsistencies 
We need not be teaching that to our students. They have enough stress right now going on in their life. They don't need the stress of this fight between the CRT. If you guys want your kids to learn CRT, take advantage of the free public library or wait until they are at the collegiate level and suggest a college level class for them. Do not put this on the taxpayer. Thank you. In case they're outside, I'll just set it aside for a moment. Okay, so Ashley Abraham. I'm Ashley. Uh, I just have a question. Where is the data that supports passing this ban? What experts were consulted? Did you talk to anyone in child development? Any experts in education, history, any of it? Or was this really just a matter of political pandering? That's it. Judy will be Charlie Palkey, uh, Steph Baxter, Todd Frazier, and Brent. Thank you. I'm Judy Desjardins, and I do support to ban CTR. Uh, I have another question I would like uh, to have answered. Um, I would like to know why the principal at Travis Ranch uh, this is regarding, excuse me, the awards ceremony, but the principal at Travis Ranch sent a memo to the teachers saying that only character awards would be given out. Uh, my grandchildren go to Mabel Payne. I called the school and I found out that the principal would recognize academic achievement and character awards. Um, what is the policy? Dr. El Selzer, I'd like to know. Uh, and I would like to say that the parents did win because the parents did complain, and now that principal is going to do all academic and achievement and character awards. Thank you. Um, the CRT ban does not exclude our history. This is the District U.S. History book for high school, which is not going away with this ban. Some of the topics in this book are Native American societies, ancient people of America, Atlantic slave trade, slavery, Missouri Compromise, Trail of Tears, Chinese Exclusion Act, Garrison, Frederick Douglass, Turner's Rebellion, Diverse Politics of Slavery, Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Dred Scott, Emancipation Proclamation, African Americans in Reconstruction, Sharecropping, Ku Klux Klan, Sitting Bull Massacre at Sand Creek, Death on Bozeman Trail, Red River War, Assimilation, Dawes Act, Chinese Exclusion Act, Anti-Asian Sentiment, Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, Niagara Movement, Tuskegee University, Jim Crow Law, Segregation, Pressy versus Ferguson, Lynching, Race Rights, Japanese internment camps, Marcus Garvey, Harlem Renaissance, Adolf Hitler, Nazi Germany, the Holocaust, mass exterminations, Thurgood Marshall, Brown versus Board of Education, Martin Luther, Martin, Martin Luther King, Civil Rights Act, Rosa Parks, and so much more. So the difference is, I talk about it. I have five boys. 
I don't remember one of them coming home from preschool going, I didn't like this kid because they looked a certain way. We grew up in LA. My kids are not from around here, so you can't use the Orange County bubble. They are from LA, or trust me, we had everybody. You know who they didn't like? The kid that took their cookie, the kid that hit them that day. But you know what they do know? That their grandparents are Native American, that their grandparents came from Spain, and they look as white as I do. So when you sit there and say that it's not going to affect my child sitting across the room, it will just affect them as much as it will affect any one of you. But you know what? We need to preserve our history and not blame anybody and move forward and stop dividing this country. Everybody wants to pick a side. Stop picking a side and pick the side of the future. Find a way to come together on both sides of this aisle that is so divided right now and say, you know what? Let's move forward ban CRT, and find a way to move forward. I'm Brent. Um, my kids uh, did K-12 in this dist district, as did I. Um, CRT is already being taught. So last year, um, my daughter's history class uh, was a CRT influenced all year long. The main theme, white people are bad. Uh, it's kind of confusing for her since her great-grandfather's African-American, so again, she didn't know whether to be the oppressor or be looked at as oppressed. Um, but really, the vote tonight is not controversial. It's going to be extremely uh, common, especially uh, after the November elections. So this is what's going to be happening. Um, it's just a, a common-sense board and parents saying no to indoctrinating our children into a racist ideology. Uh, accountability is coming here, and this is just the beginning. <laughs> I'm Todd Frazier. Uh, we've got one child in the district, and we're about to have two more, so we're going to have three in the district here this next year. Um, I read an article about three years ago uh, that the title said, Math is Racist. I thought, well, that's really weird. Uh, I have a math education degree, I was credentialed in the state of Missouri, and I am now a CPA. So I do numbers a lot. I don't see any racism in math. And I was like, where did this come from? That's really strange. And the more I've learned about CRT and the tenets of what it is, is that racism is normative. It's in everything. And so I started understanding, wait a minute. So if you're saying that because somebody doesn't, doesn't excel in a certain subject, you can just look at their race and say, oh, well, it's because of racism. But that doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's no rationale to that which is what happens with CRT when you're basing things on subjective truth rather than objective truth. When we are looking at dividing people by skin color, it's wrong. It's a worldview that we do not need in our schools. We need to be authentic, we need to be real, and we need to teach what history is, not that, uh, well, my time's up, but math is not racist. <laughs> And Leanna Sun. So again, in case you didn't hear that, Stephanie D, Betty Sun, Ralph Dubois, or Dubois, um, and Leanna Sun. <laughs> Banning critical race theory is becoming more and more popular. It's already been banned or is up for proposal in 23 states and countless school districts. Even here, banning it is the popular choice among voters, and that is reason enough to keep it out of our classrooms. But I would advocate that the more important reason 
to ban it before it is introduced is because it's already seeped into a lot of our classes and into our educator required trainings. Ask any teachers if they have been told to examine their lesson plans for whiteness or if it has been suggested to them that they take responsibility for their privilege and they will shake their heads yes. This has not been proven to make them better educators. It has not been proven to increase our students' learning or their educational outcomes. In fact, it has not been proven to do anything positive in education. So why allow PYL to be guinea pigs in the social experiment of critical race theory? Ban it and protect our kids and educators from this unproven and unpopular experiment. I'm a parent of a pair of teenagers here in this district. I'm here this evening to show support for our educators, many of our history teachers too. CRT, from my understanding, is a sophisticated and controversial topic beyond the scope of our students. I understand that. I don't think that's what it's, it is at stake here. Are we possibly and preemptively, out of fear on a national topic, putting restrictions on our everyday history teachers? That's my question, just trying to do their job. As a parent in this excellent district, I expect that my kids receive a great education and have the opportunity to transition on to great colleges if they choose to go on that path. That means that they may, to, they may need to take classes like AP History, AP Literature, and other college-oriented classes. It will include difficult topics like slavery, racism, and discussion of our nation's past, and it may include different viewpoints about it. That's what education is, is sometimes. I do not expect our teachers to feel like they can't do their job and in navigating these topics. Um, so let's, time, let's, not, time is up. let's not be afraid, we can do better. Thank you. Good evening. Can we all agree that truth and only truth, even my green friends, is all that is to be taught to our children? You are the gatekeepers, school board. Not allow anything other than righteousness and truth to pass. If anyone among you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to you. But you must ask in faith, without any doubting. If you fear the Lord God, this promise applies to you as well. Father, we pray for these here, each member of this board, and for their advisors. Please grant them eyes to see and ears to hear your truth. Please grant them the ability to discern between good and evil, that you would be glorified, that our children would be blessed with the knowledge of the truth. Please grant them humble hearts as they stand before you to make this judgment known. Thank you for your service, and we will continue to pray for your decisions. Amen. Amen. And then after Leanna will be Courtney Jocks, April Hoy, Shani Murray, and Tyler Kemp. Hello, my name is Leanna Sam, and I am a student at Cooper Middle School. I would like to ask the board in my community to reject the ban on critical race theory. And make no mistake, this ban is not protecting students. It's choosing ignorance. And choosing ignorance has no place in public education the foundation of which is sharing in truth. I hope that instead of avoiding hard decisions, we can have the courage to face the truth, even if it's ugly, because only by facing the truth can we find solutions. Thank you. 
Hi, my name is Courtney, and I have um, one kid in this district at Travis. Um, I've already stood up here and given you seven speeches um, against CRT, and hopefully this one will be my last. I implore you to vote yes to ban CRT from being taught in our district and join the several other districts in SoCal that have already done so. In addition, I would suggest that you have a disciplinary action set in place before you implement the ban. I would suggest that you have every staff member sign a copy of the ban as well as a copy of the disciplinary action so that the expectations and consequences are very clear from the get-go. If students were kicked out of school after three mask violations, I would hope that the intentional teaching of CRT would yield the same results. Wow. to move this resolution forward to ban CRT in our district, a resolution that many same school districts have approved last summer. Thank you for listening to the majority of the constituents you represent, us parents who know the evils and misinformation contained within CRT and do not want it taught to our children. Thank you for all the time you have spent researching CRT and for using critical thinking skills to determine that CRT has no place in our district or our community. Thank you for also standing up to the bullying woke left in their attempt to dissuade you from standing up against CRT. Thank you for standing up to their power, their money, their assassinations of your character, Amen. the public and private bad-mouthing that you have received. You are an example to our children that truth does still have a place in our society. Thank you for taking this very important first step in ridding our schools of CRT. and I'd just like to share excerpts from an article by a Georgetown University professor, Janelle George. Quote, I teach students history not to cast anyone as oppressor or a victim, but to demonstrate how past inequities inform contemporary ones. A CRT lens helps students recognize how racial inequity can be maintained through laws and policies, spanning the slave codes that prohibited Douglas and other enslaved persons from learning how to read or write, to the Jim Crow laws and de facto policies that maintain school segregation, to contemporary policies like discriminatory school discipline policies. Many people hope that ignoring the existence of racial inequality will make it go away. It doesn't. Instead, we must do the work of identifying policies, practices, and conditions that allow it to persist. Before CRT is canceled or further mischaracterized, it's important to recognize how this framework helps educators examine historic and contemporary racial inequality and equip students with the tools to help eradicate it. I'm against the ban. Thank you. Tyler, we have Magdalena, Apricio, uh, Paul Kunkel, Brian Sarno, and Mikey. Good evening, everyone. I'm Tyler Kim, and I'm a junior at Yorba Linda High School. I, like many other students, am curious about many things, and some of those things are contentious. Like one example is my AP U.S. History class. We learned the appeal of communism during the Great Depression. We certainly weren't indoctrinated by communism, but we learned and we were able to think about how the times shaped those views and how views change through discussion as a means to understand. Another example is in my AP language class, we talked about the American dream, and race came up. 
people were not shamed or indoctrinated. Instead, we used it in order to gain perspective on each other's uh, thoughts. And I know that the flip side of this, as Ms. Blade says, is that this proposition will still allow us to teach the facts of history, but without extra interpretation. But my whole life in this district, I've been told that to learn is to think critically. And discussion is a way to spur critical thinking. I've also heard that we should teach this in a collegiate level, but we do have college classes in our high schools. They're called AP classes, and I doubt that they should be removed from the distinction, and it will be very hard for teachers to do so. Thank you. Uh, my name is Magdalena Aparisi. September 30th, 2021, an ASB student writes and posts, your dad's my gardener on a poster because of a football rivalry. December 1st, a parent yells, go back to the hood during a soccer game. As much as staff try to hide these topics and handle these complex situations, students will create discussion. We can't ignore our mistakes, but we can productively learn from them. We understand that you won't remove certain topics from our curriculum, but it's not just what you teach, it's how. Not only that, but if you ban CRT and continue to add and manipulate the definition of what CRT is, you're going to make it harder to concretely justify your curriculum. Your teachers will begin to teach in fear. We don't want the sugar-coated, censored, or hidden curriculum, and we're not asking to shame white students or enforce communism. We simply want a complete and empathetic education on America. How can we celebrate the triumphs of our country without the unconditional acknowledgement of our lows? Censorship is for obscenity, it's not education, and ignorance has no place in the classroom. Good evening. My name is Paul Kunkel. I have a daughter in the school district, and I'm opposed to the critical race theory. Um, I hear my daughter come home and speak about stuff, asking questions about things that our teachers are teaching her that are untrue. Um, she constantly through the day texts me questions about stuff that's being taught and and questions the things that are being taught and i keep telling her you need to question everything that your teachers are teaching you because this stuff is slipping through to our kids from our teachers these people out here obviously are pushing this why why do they have an agenda to do this kind of thing listen i'm no big speaker i barely made it through high school but you know, I've made a good life for myself, and I'm going to fight for my daughter every day. And same with all these parents out here are here to fight for their kids. Where are these these kids' parents? Why are they not here fighting for this if it's so good? Right here. So, one or two parents, but I bet you every one of those kids over there, their kids are here. Thank you. My name is Brian Sarno. Trusty Youngblood, Trusty Blades. This is J.E. Andrews, Virginia Johnson, Senator Theodore Bilbo, Governor Lester Maddox, Senator Sam Engelhart, Governor George Wallace, and Sheriff Jim Clark. If you are unaware of who these other individuals are, I suggest you ask your former history teacher turned it forward or attorney to inform you. I may be naive that I can sway your vote at this time, but please, Trustee Anderson, please do not vote to add your name to this list tonight. Keep our district on the right side of history and out of the news again for the wrong reasons.
Julie Suchard, Pam Lane, and Crystal Noble. Hi, my name's Mike. I've got two kids in this district. Uh, my wife would agree that I'm a pretty simple-minded individual. So I'm gonna do my best to simplify this the best that I possibly can. And I'm gonna do that by making a very controversial statement. And that statement is that racism and discrimination of any kind has no place in our kids' classrooms or in our district, period. No exceptions, end of story. So if you agree with that statement, I think some of you do, it's really important that you vote in favor of passing Resolution 2112 to ban CRT. Thank you. Raquel here. Here we are again trying to ban something you can't define from a curriculum you aren't qualified enough to teach. If you were truly concerned with how teachers present information, you would have consulted the experts, i.e. the real-life PYL USD teachers that bust their butts every single day working for our students. Heck, your own legal counsel and a former history teacher gave you a great resource, BP6144, which would ensure, quote, controversial issues are impartially presented without any partisan viewpoint. Isn't that what you claim to be after? So why isn't that good enough? Your embarrassing lack of knowledge, your refusal, your refusal to consult teaching experts at your disposal, and the choice to ignore a sensible alternative to blatant censorship shows us that this is really about partisan board members and their attempts to indoctrinate our students. My name is Julie Suchard. Trustee Blades was tagged on a social media post about the Turning Point Club at Yorba Linda High School. Blades supporters are excited that students from Turning Point will be speaking tonight. Compare the treatment of Turning Point students to members of the student-led club Diversifier Narrative. At the last school board meeting, Blades disciples harassed students from their bully pulpit, then worked to have their fundraiser canceled due to protest threats. Apparently, free speech is only important for students who share Blades' ideology. Blades posted an OC independent article about the meeting on our social media. The article was a hit job against Diversifier Narrative. The publisher of OC Independent is Matthew Cunningham, his husband to the president of the Anaheim Chamber of Commerce. The author of the article is employed by GC Strategies, owned by Cameron Wessel, senior policy aide to Anaheim Mayor Pro Tem O'Neill. GC Strategies is registered at the same address as Visit Anaheim, also affiliated to the city of Anaheim. We should all be alarmed that government institutions are collaborating to harass the Student Diversity Club. CRT is a framework of ideas that explores concept that racism is not merely a product of individual prejudice, but also embedded in government institutions. What I just illustrated is institutional racism. It exists, and it exists here. Members of the school board were elected to elevate all students in the district, not just the students whose ideology matches their own. Vote no on the ban. Thank you. Um, critical race theory does teach racism. Um, you hear a lot that you don't have it right, or it teaches you to understand other cultures, and that's fine. We agree with that. We want to teach history. We want to teach other cultures. I am an ethnic person. I'm Mexican and also partial uh, Native American. But the purveyors of critical race theory and the people who are consulted in creating the curriculums believe 
The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. This is Ibram Kennedy. Kennedy. He um, makes $20,000 each time he gives a lecture. And there's lots of them like it. Um, I don't have much time left, but I would like you to vote yes on um, this event. Thank you. Okay, so up next we have McKenna Hastings. John starts with a Q. I apologize. Something. John. Divisive, it teaches to divide, divide by color of one's skin. 
I don't support the teaching of CRT. My name is Seven Green. I've seen some of y'all's Facebook pages, and some of you need to go back to school. I'm more concerned about kids being able to read and do math rather than being taught how to be an activist. Next will be Shani Boone, Curtis McCathern, John Barkley, and Stuart Lawrence, and Beth, Beth Lawrence. Good evening. I'm my members of the board, Ben Stubbs, parent of a student here in the district. Uh, I support the board's resolution for 2120, sorry, 2112 to not use CRT as a guide in ethnic studies. Sociology professor Prudence uh, Carter at UC Berkeley defines CRT as a theoretical framework which says there are structures in our society that create racially economic disparity, covering things like racial hierarchy and racism in schools and society, end quote. Clearly, this should not be taught in K through 12. There are, believe it or not, academics who do advocate for teaching CRT at the high school level, like Professor Kiara and Bridges of UC Berkeley, but the only thing that prevents that from happening is the fact, she says, that the California K-12 curriculum doesn't teach three branches of government, or basic civics. So it begs the question, how can the system teach a theoretical framework of a systematic racism if it doesn't even teach the basic form of the system itself? Once again, I support the resolution 2112 to use CRT as the guide in ethnic studies. Thank you. After that, um, just to read it again, because nobody's sitting in front, Curtis McCathern, John Barkley, and Stuart Lawrence, and Beth Lawrence. Hello, I am a parent of two teens from PYLUSD. I'm here in support of our educators. Do not ban a theory. Do not take away the ability for students and teachers to have critical discussions about our history. This ban will make teachers fear about every subject they teach in history. Teaching history is how we do our best never to repeat it. Whether it's discussion about racism or anti-Semitism, do not ban teachers from having those discussions. Please do not ban the ability for teachers to dive deep into history and in fear that they may have said something that is potentially similar to CRT. The resolution is just too vague. Please vote no on this resolution. Allow teachers and students to have discussions without fear. President, members of the board, school administrators, systemic racism. Remember the apportionment compromise, sometimes called the three-fifths compromise. Only white men could vote, and an unjust culture believed that the collective men's vote carried the power of the collective women's vote. The South, having fewer numbers, sought to count slaves as well. Their argument is simple. Others who couldn't vote were still being counted, so their slaves who couldn't vote should also count. It was an argument made from injustice about injustice. It was a cementing a racist reality next to the sexist reality that was already present. Here we are today at Resolution 2112. Resolution 2112 rights no wrongs. Resolution 2112 corrects no error. Resolution 2112 is not a balm for the injured nor a salve for the conscience. Sourceless claims and muddle arguments are its support, but whom exactly does it help? It gives voice to hatred, trying to pass its grievance and gives it a weapon to bring career violence on those who would speak honestly to our children. Do not allow this man to pass. John? 
Uh, good evening, board. My name is John Barkley, and I just really, I drove out here from Rancho Cucamonga just to say how proud I am of the courage that it has taken you all to uh, not only write this bill, but uh, hopefully get it passed tonight. Um, CRT has many names, Social Emotional Learning, 1619 Project, Panorama, and it's all regression. It's all going, taking people back and putting them in, uh, classifying them by race. And it's disgusting. Yep, yep. And um, all these people talking about systemic racism, I guarantee they voted for the person that um, wrote the 1994 crime bill. The hypocrisy of these people is insane. You see the adult Marxist in the room um, and, and you see what the education has provided by all these little activists arguing for racism yep. these yep. children are arguing for racism and it's very sad as an academic Please society it's not very academic stuart lawrence i think if you can hear us outside stuart lawrence and then afterward, we have uh, Jessica Hernandez, says also outside, Karen Mendoza, Brooke Smith. And all those are outside, so we're just going to give them a second. You're so cute. Stuart Lawrence is the first one we're waiting on. Is there anybody? Okay, I'm moving back to that. Jessica Hernandez? Go ahead and speak there at the podium. Hello, everyone. My name is Jessica Hernandez. I'm a senior at Cal State Fullerton studying women and gender studies and child development. As someone who is passionate about education reforms, I stand here pleading, pleading that we teach CRT. Teaching the CRT allows for our students to be taught a history, a history that does not sugarcoat the reality of our history. It is not just plain. I'm sorry. Um, there's also a lot of talk about our current history curriculum, but the current history curriculum hasn't been updated in over 20 years. It is now time that we embed the CRT into our history slash social studies curriculum. Do not deny history from our students. I want to take a moment to also quote my professor, Dr. Shaw, who uh, teaches at the Women and Gender Studies Department at Kelsey Fullerton. The definition that they have right now that they are banned, um, that they are banding includes race as social construction and racism as systemic. Those are two very basic facts about race and racism. If you can't teach that, you can't teach a lot of material. I'm here in opposition of the CRT ban and urge the members of this board to vote no for the resolution. The fact is the narrative of CRT has been um, twisted and turned to scare parents. It's been done by politicians and groups who seek to hold power. I would prefer that we be here tonight debating how we support teachers to help us raise children who are critical thinkers, problem solvers, who can lean into difficult conversations, banning con controversial conversations, is not the way we can solve the problems of our time. I'm against this ban. I support the freedom of teachers. They are our experts. 
Mrs. Blades, I'm really curious about students, what they're hearing from their teachers. I was concerned about what you said tonight. I'm curious, really, the, the reality is, are teachers, in fact, scared that this ban may um, inhibit what they say and what they teach? I really do think we need to be thinking not only the intent, but the impact that we're making by saying yes to this ban. So I, vote, I request that you vote no for this ban. Thank you for your time. Brooke Smith is up next, and then Marcy Hawkins, Ileana Mays, Bernadine. Not sure, it starts with a C. And Jordan uh, Bogus. I am in favor of banning critical race theory. Banning critical race theory is not a ban on racial topics altogether. Instead, it is banning a harmful Marxist ideology and promoting fact-based learning. If teachers are afraid for parents to know what's being taught in the classroom, then we have a bigger problem. CRT, when practiced, usually brings racial division into more subjects than even history and does not promote happiness or successful growth in young minds. Banning CRT means promoting excellence for children's education. Parents have a right to know what impressionable young minds are hearing five days a week. CRT separates students by race. It is divisive and goes against our beloved nation nation's principles such as the First Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and e pluribus unum, which means out of many, one. CRT tears all that to shreds along with any real education or unity. Thank you. So Marcy, you're up next. Then Ileana Mays, Bernadine C, and then Jordan Bogus. The fact is that in the past, both legislative and case law history at all levels of American government have codified differential treatment based on race. It just is. It's our collective history. It is one that this resolution does not change. While this history can be painful to all Americans, including myself, to deny that it happened is an assault on a truth. I've heard a lot about the truth tonight, and it does not serve any of us well. We cannot move forward and heal, continuing to work hard to comfort ourselves and not just build our character. What my ancestors and ancestors of others endured was far more uncomfortable for them than it is for us to talk about it. How dare we now say that their experiences and those who are still living with the consequences must be censored so that we can keep on our rose-colored glasses. Kids are not immune to this. My son in this district was the subject of a hate crime. So I want you to understand that it's not okay to ban CRT when we're not even teaching remarks. race theory or other similar frameworks will not be used as a source to guide how topics related to race will be taught. This statement opens up the resolution, the resolution, um, it's in resolution 2112. This statement opens up the resolution to talk about more than just critical race theory and can you be used to apply to other similar frameworks such as ethnic studies. Simultaneously, the California Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum defines CRT as a practice of interrogating race and racism in society. My question is, what is so bad about that? Does racism no longer exist? 
Was there not an incident a couple months ago where racist comments were made towards Hispanic students at Yorbalinda High School? Your dad is my gardener, the poster read. This is what happens when we do not practice the inter interrogation of race and racism in our society. We end up creating hostile spaces that ostracize students, forcing them to feel less worthy than their peers because of their race. Keep CRT and keep ethnic studies, or you can get rid of it because you can get rid of ethnic studies, but you cannot get rid of our resistance. <laughs> I challenge the assertion made by one of the board members earlier that to ban CRT would not harm students and not harm truth in the telling of marginalized histories. On agenda page 66, the resolution states, be it also resolved, CRT recognizes that race is not biologically real but is socially constructed and socially significant, all of which are true. But the resolution uses this definition to call for the banning of CRT and other similar frameworks. How then will race and racism be taught? What framework will be used? What the resolution does not do is name the alternative it's insinuating, and it instead proposes these restrictions and multiple restrictions through vague languaging. Restrictions create silencing, and that silence is shaped by power. I was disturbed to hear a board member undermine both student and teacher's agency by saying students are only voicing their CRT opposition because they just took their, their teacher's words as fact. So what are you saying about your district's teachers? They are part of your, they're, they're part of your community. Their voices matter. I oppose banning CRT. I'm gonna just recall these last ones in case they're outside. Um, Adam Smith, Pam Lane, and Stuart Lawrence and Beth Lawrence. So if you're out there, this is the last warning. Go ahead, Jordan. The two students before me and myself are students of Chapman University, so I appreciate you giving us a space to speak. Ethnic studies emerged to address the exclusion of POC, people of color, from social sciences curricula. Overall, it's important, it's important to advocate for adopting coursework that focuses on issues of systemic inequality. This field originated in the 1960s to provide insight into the experiences of historically marginalized and underrepresented groups. Here are some five reasons that we should keep ethnic studies and CRT programs because it improves student graduation rates. It's more supportive learning environments. You enhance critical thinking skills and you have a commitment to social change and cultural competency. Ethnic studies faculty at our university also teach students to inform that directly relates to their lived experiences, which may lead to increase in self-confidence, self-efficacy, and overall well-being. Secondly, faculty encourages students to analyze and evaluate theories, concepts, and historical and current events. They learn to think critically about how race, class, gender, and other social identities impact how different groups experience oppression and discrimination. I vote uh, that you don't get it. I see none of the other people walking in the door, so we're going to put those to the side as well. Okay, so right now we're going to take um, Ten minute break. Would that be okay? Ten minute break, and I will remind you there are people outside. So if you leave, you cannot save your seat. Thank you so much. Feel free to use the restroom. Restroom. Oh. Did they tell you you had to go on that side? No, I was sitting on here.
Sorry, folks, I'm trying to turn the camera around here, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, I don't know why I can't get into the settings. Hold on. Standby. Trying to move some stuff around here. I'm not sure if my head's being cut off or not, but uh, obviously we have a little bit of a break going on right now. I uh, was going to try to move the camera around so I, I could actually see if my head was cut off or not. 
Um, I believe that um, following this 10-minute break that they're going on to, that we will um, have a vote on uh, the banning of CRT. Every indication is that this should go through. Uh, hopefully nobody was swayed by the nonsense that uh, was being uh, spoken <laughs> at the podium. Uh, just um, cool honor uh, to sit here and listen to some of the people that I have known from either PTA or from neighbors that have really bought into the indoctrination of some of the concepts of uh, CRT. So it's sad. It's sad to see that these uh, people are wearing masks, even though we know uh, what has uh, been happening with masks and all the information and the studies that have come out. And even on the box, it says that they don't work. So it's just really odd. So I'm going to go back to what I was doing just a second ago. Um, so that's my name. Yeah, it's about three minutes, but that's the beginning of my Gmail email address, too. So you can use my name, gmail.com, uh, and that's my phone number if you have any problems. So yeah, I, sometimes I would turn off the stream, uh, but then what would happen is then, then you would have to be looking for the stream when we come back to, especially in this case, because we're going to have a vote, I hope, uh, to ban CRT that I didn't want to cut this stream and then create another one. So then you had to um, stand by and wait and look for it and that kind of stuff. So I'm keeping it running. For those purposes, so what I'll do is I, uh, unless I can think of something else to talk about, I'm just going to let you kind of see the crowd that's here. Um, we have people not only um, filling the room here, but also outside. Uh, one interesting thing that happened before uh, the meeting started is that um, I was asked to um, uh, lead it, uh, the, uh, the group in prayer. And uh, the moment I started doing that, um, people started grumbling that if we needed to take it outside, it was, it was illegal for me to pray. And, uh, and then somebody shout out, you know, get the police in here because he, he's about to pray. Um, uh, I continued with the prayer. I didn't let it stop me. We, I rose my voice up. Uh, the interesting thing is that it was about halfway through the prayer that the room actually got quiet. So I'm wondering... Uh, how God was working at that moment is that uh, the silence room so people can hear God's word. Um, not really sure what the what the take of that it was. Interesting because there was a lot of grumbling at the beginning. It was very loud, and they were again calling for the police to come in and some other stuff. And that it was illegal what we were doing, and that we needed to take it outside. And then in the middle of the prayer, it just it stopped and went silent. So I decided I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so enjoy the crowd. I'll move this back a little bit. Uh, somebody might yell at me or the police might make me move it, but we'll keep it out here so people can see what's going on. And then when the meeting starts, I'll turn it around again. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> You know, I'm not surprised at anything anymore, but um, yeah, but uh, oh, one other thing just wanted to talk about is that one of the things that we were discussing, you know, as parents and, uh, you know, with the school board members that I know, is that these uh, students come from these neighboring universities like Cal State Fullerton and, and Chapman University to skew the nonsense of being taught in these universities. They have, they have nothing to do 
essentially, unless they went to school in the district previously, have really nothing to do with what the parents want, the community wants, and what we think is right for the, the students. And they come here trying to influence our support in our district um, based on what nonsense and indoctrination they're getting from the university. So it's really disheartening uh, to see that happening. It, it just tells you why it's so important that we educate our uh, elementary schools, middle school, and high schoolers properly so that when they get into these indoctrination camps called universities, that they're discerning enough to be able to uh, critically think and understand what they're being taught is not true. Uh, that it's uh, false information about U.S. history, false information about uh, racism, and, and that the separating people into races is actually the racism uh, that, is, uh, that is being uh, forced upon many of these uh, uh, students through the teachers that are that are secretly teaching CRT. Uh, one last thing, it was also interesting to hear somebody uh, come up right at the beginning and say CRT is not being taught, and then you have people saying, that we need to continue teaching CRT in the middle of their speech. So yeah, that, that's always uh, an interesting part of the discussion. So um, I'll give you, give you guys a break from my voice and um, just stand by uh, and we will get back to our regular programming in just a minute.
Sorry, I left that comment up. So, Cal Patriot, glad to see you here. <laughs> Looks like we're getting ready to start again because they're all seated. So. So moving on to staff presentations, um, Dr. Linda Adamson is now going to introduce um, our first one. Well, our next three, but we'll start with the first one. Thank you. Well, good evening, President Buck, members of the board, executive cabinet, and members of the community. It's my pleasure at this time to introduce to you this evening, Director of Student Wellness, Access, and Academic Success, Dr. Trina Gonzalez, who will be opening our presentation to share with you progress and the academic growth that our K-12 students have shown this school year. 
Good evening, President Buck, members of the board, executive cabinet members, and members of the community. It's my pleasure to present our mid-year data report to you this evening. As you recall, we presented our fall baseline data in November. We shared our results and our plan of action. Tonight, we will share our progress and the academic growth that our students have shown. Specifically, we will cover elementary and middle school data, where are we from our baseline in the fall to mid-year, the adv advancements that our high school team has made in developing common assessments in English language arts and math. We will show disaggregated data from our student groups and our continued commitment to positively impact the data in our relentless efforts to strive for continuous improvement. Let's start by looking at reading data for our elementary and middle schools. As a reminder, we shared with you the fall iReady reading data for students in grades K-8, which showed that 44.68% of K-8 students were at grade level or above in reading. The same assessment was administered again mid-year, and the results show that 58.4% of students are now at grade level or above, which is a gain of 13.7%. We also shared the disaggregated reading data by grade level and the baseline percentages of students that were on grade level or above. This represents the students at grades kindergarten through fourth grade. Mid-year, we can see that gains were made for all students in grades K through four. Specifically, the percentage of students that scored at grade level or above increased by at kindergarten level, there was a 31% increase. First grade realized a gain of 22%. At second grade, results show an increase of 18%. Third and fourth graders also made gains of 13 and 10%. Also in the fall, we shared baseline data for grades five through eighth grade. These were our baseline results. Although not as significant as the gains made in kindergarten through fourth grade, there were reading gains experienced at the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade levels. Specifically, the percentages of students that scored on grade level or above increased by 5% in fifth grade, 8% in sixth grade, 8% in seventh grade, and eighth grade realized an 11% gain. Data for students in kindergarten through eighth grade were also collected for math. In the content area of math, baseline iReady data scores showed that 33.6% of K-8 students were at grade level or above. In examining the mid-year data results for iReady, 50.3% of K-8 students scored at grade level or above, which is an increase of 17%. This is higher than the reading gains, thus showing us that our focus on math and the actions in our LCAP have had an impact. When examining disaggregated data for math by grade level, there were gains made from the fall to mid-year. This slide contains the fall and mid-year data, math data, for kindergarten through fourth grade. Kindergarten made a gain of 26%. 21% growth was realized in first grade. In second grade, there was a 22% gain, 28% growth in third grade, and a 17% gain, gain in fourth grade. 
Smaller gains were seen in math at the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade levels with the mid-year results. The gains ranged from 8% to 14%. As such, this indicates that the educational services staff need to conduct a root cause analysis to determine additional supports that are needed. In the fall presentation, we also shared iReady data by student groups. This is the reading outcomes for some of our largest student groups. African-Americans grew 16%. The Asian population increased by 13%. Hispanic students gained 12 percentage points from fall to mid-year. And the white student population increased by 17% from the fall baseline assessment. Continuing with additional student groups in the content area of reading, Low-income students increased by 13%, English learners by 9%, and students with disabilities gained 8 percentage points. Although these student groups are making gains, increases are not at the same rate as all students of 13.7%. Staff has already shared this identified need and is implementing actions to assist in closing the achievement gap. Additionally, this information was shared with our community partners through the LCAP input sessions, and staff has developed actions for the 22-23 LCAP that continues to focus on closing the achievement gap for these student groups. Next is the student data for math. <coughs> African-American students grew 21%. The Asian population increased by 16%. Hispanic students gave 14 percentage points from fall to mid-year, and the white student population increased by 21% from the fall baseline assessment. When analyzing the data for specific student groups, data indicates students of lower socioeconomic backgrounds, English learners, and students with disabilities continue to perform below their peers. Again, although the gains were made for these student groups, the achievement gap appears to be widening. As such, staff will be discussing modifications to the current interventions for these students. In November, we set an end of the year expectation. Our desire was for a minimum of 15% growth of students scoring at or above grade level for both reading and math. As you can see, we are on target for meeting the school for reading and have already exceeded the school for math. At the fall data presentation, we shared with you that the high schools were in the process of developing common assessments. We are excited to report that this has been accomplished. We will first take a look at the results from the English language arts assessments. The Smarter Balance Interim Assessment Blocks, or IABs, were chosen to assess our students. English language arts teachers selected IABs because they are part of California's system of assessments called California Assessments of Student Performance and Progress, or more popularly known as CASP. IABs are implemented at all comprehensive high schools at the conclusion of the first semester. IABs are short focused sets of items that measure one or more areas in English language arts. The IABs selected do not assess the totality of the English language arts standards like we do for iReady. Rather, these IEB results represent how our students performed on a smaller set of English language arts standards selected by our teachers. At the end of the first semester, the following standards were assessed and used to assist teachers in deciding what skills need to be taught. 
9th and 12th grade teachers assess their students on the revision process. 10th grade students were assessed on listening and interpretation. And 11th grade students were assessed on analyzing and integrating research. Unlike the iReady assessment levels, the IABs have three performance levels and puts at grade level performance and above grade level together. So let's take a look at initial results in the content area of English language arts. 28% of students in grade nine scored at or above grade level when tested on the revision process. At grade 10, 35% achieved grade level proficiency or higher on listening and interpretation standards. We sent an increased proficiency rate at 11th grade with 58% of students scoring at or above grade level on research and analysis standards. And in grade 12, 36% scored at or above grade level for English language arts when tested on the revision process. When the same data is disaggregated by student group for all high school levels, the following results were learned. 30% of African-American students performed at or above grade level. 60% of Asian, the Asian population scored at the same level. The data for the Hispanic student group showed that 26% were at or above grade level and 43% of white students scored proficient or above. Continuing our purview of student groups, low income students that performed at grade level or above is 28%. Only 4% of our English language learners scored at the same rate. And 12% of students with disabilities were proficient on the IEB for the English, in language, art, English language arts. As a reminder, these re results represent how our student groups performed on a small subset of standards at the end of the first semester. This data does not reflect or predict how they may perform on the smarter balanced assessments. Like the elementary and middle school data, this further confirms the action to close the achievement gaps <coughs> that are being suggested for the 22-23 LCAP are necessary. Initial common assessments based on the California standards were also implemented for math at the high school grades then. The math assessments, like all other assessments, are aligned to the California state <coughs> standards for both algebra and geometry. There are four scoring levels for these high school assessments, rather than the three levels for English language arts. The first assessment results are from students who take two years to complete algebra. The first year is called Algebra 1A, and the percentage of students in this course who scored proficient or above is 53%. And 49% of students enrolled in the second year of Algebra, or Algebra 1B, perform at the same level. 69% of our students enrolled in Algebra 1 were proficient or exceeded proficiency. <coughs> Next is the geometry data for the end of the first semester showing 68% of students enrolled in this course are proficient or above grade level. Finally, the last assessment results are for students enrolled in Algebra 2. The percentage of students at or above grade level is 63%. <coughs> In comparison to the high school common assessments, I would like to share how our 11th grade students performed last year when tested on all of the English language arts and math standards. These are our 2021 Smarter Balanced results for our 11th grade students. Despite having endured a year of unimaginable challenges, 
70.2% of our students met or exceeded standards in English language arts, and 51.01% met or exceeded standards in the area of mathematics. It is not unusual to see our 11th grade graders score lower in math than language arts on these assessments. The reason for this is not all students have been introduced to Algebra 2 content covered on the 11th grade Smarter Balanced Math Assessment coursework, which is only a percentage of students partaking by the 11th grade. What distinguishes these state standardized assessments from the common assessments results I shared with you is that they measure the standards in totality for both subjects areas for the entire year, meaning they are summative in nature. Considering these assessments were given during a difficult time in education, we are optimistic about the results students managed to achieve. We will be administering this assessment again this spring after a year of in-person instruction and are excited to see the results. With that final piece of information, I would like to welcome Dr. Linda Addis Adamson to share our academic support plan to outline our next steps for continued improvement. So looking towards the remaining months of this year and the new school year ahead, I remind you that testing and assessment data, be it formative or summative, serves as just one metric. That's okay, thanks, I remind you that testing and assessment data, be it formative or summative, serve as just one metric in helping us focus on where students are headed. Carol Dweck reminds us repeatedly that assessment data tells us where a student is at that moment in time, and there's no telling where they will or could end up. And this reminds us of how important it is that we keep looking ahead and reaching toward improved outcomes. So it is with this thinking that we plan ahead by incorporating a variety of strategies, interventions, and supports to address our students' overall academic educational needs and work towards closing the gaps that we see across grade levels and student groups. You'll recall that in November, we identified several areas of focus, all of which included research-based teaching strategies and academic supports that we believed would ensure we meet our targeted goals. A review of our K through eighth grade data shows we're making significant gains, proving that the programs and practices we have implemented are working. We'll continue our laser focus and further refine our goals to ensure growth as we move into these final months of the school year. I'm highlighting tonight for you seven identified actions that will ensure we continue to meet our ongoing goals. At the beginning of this year, we identified collective teacher efficacy as our overarching area of focus for the year ahead. Collective teacher efficacy is the belief that teachers as a whole can execute courses of action required to positively affect student achievement. In other words, they see themselves as an effective agent of change. It's an element that was identified by John Hattie's research as the factor that has the most positive influence on student achievement with an effect size of 1.57. We nurture collective teacher efficacy through three simple practices. The first is focused collaboration. Every time our collaborative teams of educators meet as professional learning communities, otherwise known as PLCs, they discuss their practice in terms of what they've learned as a group and individually. We're proud of our practices that allow for these regular collaborative meetings of teachers and administrators alike, all with the goal of improving our craft. Second, by ensuring the feedback that our teachers receive fuels their sense of self-efficacy and agency, and is both meaningful and specific to reinforce what's working well and what needs attention. And third, we realize that nothing fosters agency like concentrating on successes. So when we highlight what worked well, it means we're identifying the wins 
and small wins we believe lead to bigger wins that foster an attitude of hope and optimism. <laughs> Next, we'll focus on more specific targeted practices beginning with number two on the slide. We're committed to continuing to implement and analyze district-wide assessment data that help identify student needs and use that data to plan academic intervention. This can only be done through ongoing analysis of the data available to us, which means we meet regularly as professional learning communities and use this time to, what number three identifies, monitor the effectiveness of our efforts by measuring our students' progress and making necessary adjustments as needed. The use of iReady as both a diagnostic and targeted instructional tool for our K through 8th grade level students is critical in this process. iReady assessments provide the data that teachers need to target math and language arts instruction where it's needed most. The information it delivers is based on industry-leading assessment design concepts and that by extensive validity evidence. It allows teachers to meet their students where they are and set high achievable goals, and intuitive reports offer accurate data that serve to identify each student's strengths and learning priorities. Teachers can use that data to make informed decisions about whole class, small group, or individual instruction, while administrators can use it to set intervention strategies and inform resource allocation decisions. Each student is assigned an individualized digital learning path that targets students' exact skills and needs, and reading gains were not as high Reading gains were not as high at the middle school level when compared to elementary schools, and so we will be working with our middle school staff to identify how they are implementing the use of our iReady individualized lessons in both math and reading. At the high school level, we're committed to continuing to refine the high school assessments which we developed this year to ensure consistency across grades 9 through 12 and allow for a common means of measuring our high school progress in the subjects of both math and English language arts. This is not a practice that we've done before in prior years, and so we're pleased to now have that benchmark data that will ensure our ability to measure our high school students' progress throughout the year and target our instruction accordingly. Next year, we'll also have state testing results for students in grades 3 through 8 and 11, which will give us yet another benchmark by which to measure our students' progress. The fourth practice emphasizes our commitment to regularly refining common assessments, analyzing student results, sharing and adjusting instructional practices and ensuring a guaranteed viable curriculum, which simply means we're providing equal learning opportunities for all students and providing pacing guides that ensure adequate time to teach necessary content and assess only what is taught. Number five reinforces our commitment to ongoing professional development for our teachers in the area of differentiated instruction, ensuring that we, we are teaching students according to their current skill and ability and providing small group and individualized instruction and targeting students' individual academic needs. Number six highlights our commitment to eliminating any barriers to learning by focusing on the social and emotional well-being of students, something we've been able to ensure this year through the addition, additional mental health and wellness supports, resources and staff, all thanks to the one-time funding we receive, and which we are thrilled will continue into next year. Because we know students learn best when they're truly supported, not just academically, but socially and emotionally too. And then finally, that number seven lists the specific examples of targeted support that we will provide our teach our students. This includes the recent implementation of academic support teachers at eight elementary sites where the academic needs were identified as mostly need. Math was identified as an area of greatest need across all grade levels prior to the pandemic. So this reason that in the winter of 2020, our aid services team conducted an analysis of our K-12 math instruction 
and developed a comprehensive three-year plan that identified specific targeted supports at all grade levels and professional development to target instruction. Unfortunately, the pandemic halted implementation of the plan, and so it's with renewed focus that we intend to revisit implementation in the fall of 2022. The three-year plan includes a targeted focus on cognitively guided instruction at the elementary level. This simply involves a teacher-led, student-centered technique for building math thinking and discourse. It also provides an emphasis on small group instruction, number sense, and conceptual understanding, as well as a renewed focus on differentiated instruction. The plan also requires the use of common formative assessments, frequent data collection to ensure regular progress monitoring, and teaching which incorporates a universal design for learning, which you may be familiar with uh, as UDL. Uh, essentially, this ensures equal access for all students to learning, as well as flexibility in how materials are presented, how students express their understanding, and how they remain engaged. We know that a focus on early reading skills is key, which is why we've also implemented additional K through fifth grade reading materials with a focus on interventions, specifically phonics materials, to target reading at the lower elementary levels. <coughs> at the middle and high school level, uh, we will continue to focus on small group instruction, uh, which also involves differentiated instruction, the use of comative formative assessments, frequent data collection, and of course, progress monitoring or to address the achievement gaps that we see in English language arts at the secondary level. Additional academic intervention sections have also been added at, the, added at the secondary level as a means of providing support for students who require more targeted individual assistance. We're also pleased to be able to continue to offer school after-school tutoring, including online services such as paper.co. The continued offering of gear up elective courses at both the middle and high school levels provides further opportunities and support for our struggling students through goal setting, social and emotional well-being, increased engagement, and the provision of targeted academic support and progress monitoring to increase overall academic achievement. And we remain committed to continuing to the reduced class sizes that we've been able to offer in Algebra 1A, uh, which a practice that we feel has garnered significant improvement uh, this past year, and one we hope to extend to Algebra 1B next year. And then finally, as a means of addressing the achievement gaps that we see amongst our two significant student groups, we're committed to following targeted supports for our students with disabilities. We'll continue to follow practices including frequent review of data and master scheduling practices to ensure students have increased access to core curriculum, all as a means of increasing our a 3 g graduation rates. And we're also committed to offering additional training for teachers on the provision of supplemental and targeted interventions to address our students' needs and pr promote student success. For our English learners, we're pleased to be introducing the use of our English learner progress monitoring tool. This will be as a means of monitoring our English learner progress and to frequently track their growth towards English language proficiency and mastery of grade level content knowledge. We're also committed to maintaining reduced class sizes for our emerging English learners to ensure more opportunity for small group instruction and increased participation and then finally, we will revisit the implementation of our focused EL instructional routines, which encourage all teachers to emphasize individual and whole class live instruction. These strategies, uh, which we refer to as our five for all, and I believe was included in a board update last week with more details. Uh, this was really the, it's the foundation of district-wide professional development uh, that allows us, uh, it was actually something that we focused on two years before the pandemic. Uh, through the use of those instructional routines, continued integrated and designated ELD instruction, 
ongoing training to address the needs of our long-term English learners, and the continued use of supplemental ELD materials that we believe our English learners will further accelerate their English language proficiency and increase their overall academic success. We know that it's only through ongoing analysis of the data, along with frequent progress monitoring, and through regular assessment that we're better able to identify learning gaps and intervene early. We know that's critical, early, by providing targeted supports to our struggling students. This is very practice to which we continue to remain committed, along with an attitude of hope and optimism as we continue to highlight and celebrate the small wins in our relentless pursuit of growth and progress and increased student achievement. Thank you for your attention this evening. Do you have any questions for us at this time? I have one question. Um, as I've been out visiting schools, um, there's a couple of classrooms that I went into and saw read naturally, which we've had for a really long time. And um, and but what I saw was that it was getting ready to run out because the teacher was retiring. And the read naturally I'm talking about is the one with the audio tapes and the kids listen to it and read along. Is are we still using that? And is there any any plan on expanding that or 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 utilizing something else that might be you know, more than just the tapes? Do they offer something like that? Um, and I asked because when I was um, uh, helping in the class and working in the class, we used Read Naturally a lot with the individual groups with, the, um, with our struggling learners and our RTI. I, I love Read Naturally for the, the whole reason that it has that goal setting you know, component of it and students can really actually sort of track their progress right on a daily basis. And so it is something that continues to be used, I, I know, by many of our RSP teachers, and yes, definitely in small group intervention. And so it's definitely something we can look into. I, I don't know if it's something we have on, and if that has been updated and if there are more you know, our current uh, materials available, but it's definitely something that we can look into and we'll provide some updated information on that. Okay. That would be great, thanks. Mrs. Um, yes, uh, two questions. Um, between tonight's presentation and when we have our upcoming LCAP presentation. Is there any new data that might enter into our discussion other than some of the things you've highlighted this evening? No, this is everything that we have okay. at this time. Okay. And then just as, as uh, President Buck said, um, when I was at Brookhaven last week in a conversation with one of the teachers, it was mentioned that from research she's read, uh, and I'm not saying it's something that isn't known here, um, that uh, having more books that are nonfiction uh, are more uh, are a greater help for developing understanding, uh, vocabulary, etc. Um, and I, I took note of it because she she made a point of talking to me about that. Um, because I really believe strongly in libraries, I always have, um, and uh, I just don't know if that's something that has ever come up in a conversation on a level of discussion when um, there are other, uh, others discussing uh, ways in which we can improve the environment, the, the materials, etc. Um, just something, I, it's a footnote, if you will, just based on the conversation. But, some future time, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about that. And we're talking about books about animals and science, and it's wonderful to have these, and I love many of the books that we say at elementary level, 
very captivating and I love the illustrations, but um, this was specific to nonfiction as, as her request. Right. And you know, I, I love that you're mentioning that, Trustee <coughs> Freeman, just because the new content standards actually have sort of more, more of an emphasis on nonfiction literature. Uh, and all of that is as a result, and so actually we'll see all of our new materials which were, you know, adopted, uh, what, well, goodness, five, five years ago now. Uh, all, you'll see that all of the different grade levels is definitely much heavier on non-section as it was prior, you know, to the new standards implementation. And so absolutely, and, and you'll see that, you know, we were identifying the IAB assessment data at the high school level, and when you're looking at, you know, that the standard of revision, you know, that's really very closely and you know, directly correlated to students' ability to be able to, you know, take that content and use that in their writing and, inform, you know, create their own argument you know, as a result of what they're uh, reading, understanding, and your ability to analyze it. So it's a really strong relation to that. Thank you very much. Um, just a couple thoughts. Really, I just wanted to congratulate you and your team. These are amazing improvements. Um, and I know a lot of work and time and energy goes into making these improvements happen. And so I just want to say thank you and make sure that all your staff and everyone knows we are very grateful for these improvements and we're so close to our targeted goals, so that's really encouraging. And um, as I was reviewing this data, or data, um, the thing that really stood out to me that was most concerning was the reading grade levels in the middle school. And I was glad that you're addressing that issue and I look forward to seeing in the LCAP really specific goals targeting that group. You know, because there was a very high percentage that were two grade <coughs> levels, so that means you know, kids are possibly third or fourth grade reading level and, and merging to high school, which is going to be problematic. And you know, we need to make sure we address this quickly with this group. It seems like the, the lower grades in elementary are really not a target, and um, that this middle school group really needs a lot of assistance. And so, <coughs> Okay, well, they will be in there. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you for that presentation. Okay, so our next presentation will be our multicultural studies um, program, and you are going to take that as well, Dr. Adams. Good evening once again. In order for you to gain a full appreciation, oh, good evening, President Buck, trustees, executive cabinet, and members of the community. Tonight we bring forth for board consideration the approval of a proposed elective course for high school juniors and seniors entitled, entitled Multicultural Studies. In order for you to gain a full appreciation and understanding of what the course entails, we wish to begin by providing you with some background about the process the Multicultural Studies team of educators pursued in order to arrive at this point. It's a year-long proposed high school elective that will provide all students with the opportunity to learn about histories, cultures, and contributions of diverse groups represented in the United States. The course aims to empower student voice as they see themselves and each other as a part of the historical narrative in their present-day community. The overarching goal of the course serves to promote respect and empathy within our diverse world, while also serving to build a deeper sense of belonging to one school community, helping students to further find their place in what can only be described as our complex society. 
Inclusion is defined as a state of being valued, respected, and supported through a focus on the needs of every individual by ensuring the right conditions are in place for each person to achieve their full potential. Not only does creating greater multicultural awareness and inclusion help students with different backgrounds and needs succeed, but it encourages acceptance and helps prepare students to thrive in a diverse world. Presenti Yorba Linda is a community of diverse and incredible experiences, which we hope to allow opportunities for our students to share with one another as a means to grow and learn. We know that as we seek to better understand what makes each of us unique and different, that we tend to find ourselves developing a higher level of appreciation of those differences. After all, as Maya Angelou so powerfully reminds us, in diversity there is both beauty and strength. This course aims to incorporate all students, involve all students, and embrace all students. <coughs> the photographs you see represent the faces of many of our current high school student body. We have the proud honor of serving each and every unique individual within our Percentia Yorbalinda community, and it's this very same mission that remained close to the work and vision of the team in the development of this class. We recognize that all students have a story to be told. Every child has value, and our students have expressed the desire to be a part of the narrative. The courses, therefore, embedded in the coursework, seek to provide the avenue for their narratives and for their stories to be told. Multicultural Studies is designed to provide all students with a powerful opportunity to learn about and celebrate one another. As they engage in the proposed curriculum, they will learn and reflect on the experiences of others. In addition, Multicultural Studies offers students the unique opportunity to determine if their learning serves as a window into other individuals' completely different perspectives and story. As students process their learning throughout the course, they will recognize that sometimes these stories do not serve as a window into someone else's life, but rather as a reflection and mirror into their own experiences. This course will allow students to make connections with one another through shared experiences, to further their ability to develop new perspectives and make decisions that are both informed and grounded in higher level thinking. Our Director of High School Education, Ms. Gina Aguilar, will now provide you with a detailed description of the work and steps the Multicultural Studies team took through about, throughout the development of this coursework. In 2020, the Board of Education approved Resolution Number 20-04, which stated that the district would establish a course, such as Multicultural Studies, for high school students, while focusing on fair and representative inclusion of underrepresented voices in all curricula. Our local control accountability plan directly fosters access and inclusion. After hearing input from numerous educational partners from within our community, PYLUSD prioritized developing a task force to review available ethnic studies resources and began creating our very own district-created curriculum as a means to implement our multicultural studies elective in the 2022-23 school year. In June 2021, our Board of Education trustees discussed moving forward with the course titled Multicultural Studies. The Multicultural Studies Task Force began to meet regularly to develop the course units of study, continually emphasizing the inclusion of all students. On October 8th, Assembly Bill 101, stating that ethnic studies will become a graduation requirement for all California public high school students, was passed. This requirement must be offered in our high schools by the 2025-2026 school year for the graduating class of 2030. Throughout this process, our educational services team has been diligent in partnering with multiple student, 
parent, community, and educator groups across our district. These educational partners have provided valuable input and feedback on every aspect of the course design, including units of study, lesson topics, and final project ideas. We would like to note the contributions of the Superintendent's High School Advisory Council, the Access and Inclusion Committee, Curriculum Council, and Cabinet for their invaluable support and feedback. Multicultural Studies is a course that celebrates our world and the world around us. This includes the many groups and cultures that represent the students of our PYL-USD community. Lessons include avenues for students to explore topics such as language, religion, culture, and geography. Currently, this course has been created as a year-long elective. In the future, the State of California will provide additional guidance on specific ethnic studies graduation requirements. We are confident that our course will lay a strong foundation in preparation to meet these requirements. The California Dashboard is an important tool used to measure college and career readiness. Beginning in the 2022-23 school year, California will begin collecting data for the state seal of civic engagement as a future measure of college and career readiness. Students who take and pass the Multicultural Studies course will automatically meet one of the required elements necessary to receive the state seal of civic engagement. The PYL-USD Multicultural Studies elective is designed based on a thematic approach. Each of six units of study listed on this slide focuses on themes integrated throughout the course. Themes include history, migration, and experiences, movements and change, cultural appreciation, and community building. Students explore these themes by learning about the various demographic groups represented among our student population. In order to develop a course that reflects our district student population, extensive work was done to carefully examine our student demographic data. The course aims to be inclusive of all students by honoring their voice and experiences. Therefore, lessons were designed to share the stories of African Americans, Asian American and Pacific Islanders, European Americans, Latin Americans, Middle Eastern Americans, and Native Americans. Each demographic group has a sampling of lessons embedded within each unit of study. We further recognize the unique backgrounds of our students and honor their identity through the examination of dual identities and mixed race and culture. Lesson design powerfully centers around student voice and choice. We have received valuable input from current high school students throughout the creation process. Students consistently share the importance of truly connecting with the content. The units of study showcase unique variety and powerful opportunities that include, but are not limited to, inquiry and project-based learning structured around essential questions, student research and self-reflection, discussion formats such as Socratic seminar, and the exploration of topics such as art, music, and culture. The first unit of study is titled, Why Multicultural Studies? This unit lays a strong foundation for students to consider what is culture and what are ethnic identities. The goal of this unit is to establish class purpose and support students in learning about themselves and one another. The second unit, Think Like a Historian, prepares students for success in the course by developing historical thinking skills. Students consider the importance of historical thinking skills and learn how to analyze the past and the present. Unit three, the immigrant experience, focuses on the immigrant experience through both history and current times. The essential learning asks for students to reflect on the various reasons that may cause individuals to migrate to a new place, as well as consider how the United States inherently reflects a unique nation of immigrants. 
Unit 4 explores history and provides the opportunity for students to learn about past events that have impacted various groups of individuals. Students focus their learning on how people have experienced and overcome adversity, as well as reflect on the roles and responsibilities of community members. After students learn about diverse history, Unit 5, Social Influences, focuses on these demographic groups and the social influences that have impacted them. Students examine how the world has changed and also reflect on where the community and society can move forward in the future. The final unit of the Multicultural Studies course culminates in an overarching celebration of culture and community. Students frame their learning by reflecting on the importance of celebrating the beliefs and values of diverse cultures. The primary focus of the last unit centers around the students' completion of their Multicultural Studies project. This project empowers students to select a project idea of their choice from a variety of creative and authentic options. After students have selected their project choice, they will select a topic of interest and determine how they will show their learning. This project will be introduced in the beginning of the school year and students will be supported by completing benchmark tasks throughout the year in order to ensure meaningful learning. Throughout the course development, many educational partners, including district administration, teachers and site administrators, parent groups, and most importantly, high school students provided feedback on all aspects of the course. This input helped in designing a course that is unique to our district and celebrates the many cultures and communities that our students represent. Thank you for your suggestions, feedback, ideas, and tremendous commitment. Pending the initial approval of the 30-day public display, the Multicultural Studies course unit plans and supplemental materials will be available for the community to review at the Professional Development Academy. At the May 17th board meeting, we will be seeking full approval of this year-long elective course available to students in the 11th and 12th grade. If the Board of Education approves the course, students will participate in the course beginning in the 2022-23 school year. <coughs> Additionally, we will host required and ongoing professional development and instructional coaching for teachers implementing the course. This support will ensure that our uniquely designed curriculum is being taught consistently. It also provides these teachers with the opportunity to provide feedback in order to further refine and improve the course. It is both our students' preferences and voices that the task force channeled this past year through the development of this multicultural studies elective course. And I've personally been both encouraged and inspired by the learning experiences that have been crafted with undeniable care as a means of ensuring representation of all students through the celebration of the concept name, face, and story. It's with this in mind that tonight we ask you, members of the board, to join us in honoring the very unique ideas, experiences, and educational desires of our very own PYLUSD students as we seek to provide them this opportunity to foster traits of acceptance for one another's differences, to learn from one another's varied perspectives, and further their high-level thinking skills and allow them to apply what they learn and ultimately turn their mirrors into windows. Thank you once again for your time and consideration this evening. Do you have any questions for us? I have to comment because when the resolution was passed July 7, 2020, it was a hope that now it's coming to fruition that we would have something of this nature. And so I'm very pleased about that. We have a diverse um, population in our district, both among our students, among our staff, and our families. And um, so with that in mind, I think this is um, a, a 
it further helps us learn so many things, history, uh, it covers many things, the history, the art, the music, the food, the, as you've all had in this uh, presentation this evening, but it helps us understand each other um, and the experiences and, and the face, the story, etc. So uh, I'm just very appreciative of the work that has gone into getting us to this point. I look forward to having it on display and uh, hope that we can head with this. I would also just like to say thank you um, for working diligently on this. Um, the groups that were involved, our um, high school advisory council, our access and inclusion committee, thank you for everybody that um, participated in that and um, gave your voices. And I have a daughter that's going to be a junior next year, so um, I'm hoping she's going to take that. I'll put her on the spot, but evidently you had a role in this too, and she was not oh, yes. so I think that's important. Did you have any comments or want to share anything about your experience? Um, I'm part of the superintendent's advisory council, and when we were discussing it, we got into little groups, and we just kind of were discussing what we were, we what we wish we could have learned, especially because I was in a group with a lot of seniors, and we wish that we were able to take this class in order to like go into the real world because it really does introduce real life situations and cultures that we're not necessarily very much exposed to and this could have like given us a first step into being prepared to what we would see in the world. All right, thank you very much. Thank you for the presentation. And I look forward to getting uh, my set to go look at. <laughs> Next, you're going to stay there, I believe, because you're coming up again. So we're going to talk about our high school science curriculum adoption, and um, Dr. Adamson, would you like to introduce that as well? Yes, indeed, of course. Uh, I'll skip this, the introduction piece of it, because we've said good evening plenty of times. We're proud to announce this evening the completion of our comprehensive pilot process for eight new high school science textbooks, which we're, we are requesting board action to move forward with the next step. We're grateful to our pilot teachers, along with our teachers on special assignment and administrators who led this process for their admirable patience and commitment to the work. Tonight's presentation will review the process we followed in selecting these new materials, discuss the steps we utilized to narrow our decision, and provide an overview of the selected materials and outline our next steps. It's my pleasure at this time to reintroduce to you Director of High School, Ms. Gina Aguilar, who has been instrumental in the leadership of this pilot and who will be presenting the overview. Good evening, President Buck, trustees, Dr. Alsasser, Executive Cabinet, and community members. This evening, we bring to you eight new high school science materials for board consideration. We are seeking the approval for a 30-day public display of three core curriculums, Living Earth, formerly known as Biology, Chemistry in the Earth System, and Physics in the Universe, three AP texts, Biology, Chemistry, and Physics, and two science elective materials for Anatomy and Physiology, and college preparatory environmental science. Please allow me to provide you with details of how we've come to select these materials. The next generation science standards were adopted in 2013, and it is extremely important that we are able to support our teachers with NGSS driven materials. As my colleague, Director Keith Carmona, was able to give a comprehensive explanation of the next generation science standards at the March 8th board meeting, I will provide just a brief review. 
NGSS standards call for a three-dimensional approach to learning in which science and engineering practices are applied to core science ideas and how these concepts stretch across each discipline area. The outcomes of this approach are performance expectations where students do not reiterate scientific facts, but instead are required to demonstrate their mastery. Examples of performance expectations include conducting investigations, creating and using models, mathematical representations, and using evidence-based arguments, among others. Student experiences are phenomenon-driven and achieved through inquiry-based learning. I'd like to note how much our instructors, under the leadership of science instructional coach Lisa Gershbacher, have accomplished in the last year. Beginning last summer, our steering committee, consisting of discipline-specific classroom teachers, gathered to pre-screen various science materials. This evaluation brought our selection down to three or four discipline materials, which were further narrowed down through an in-depth paper screening process to two final curriculums for each core discipline. Our pilot teachers then taught a unit from each selection in the fall of 2021, collecting both qualitative and quantitative evidence to support their recommendations. Then, at the start of spring of 2022, our AP and science elective teachers gathered by subject to evaluate different textbooks they had requested, also using a screening process to determine which option would support their students best. The steering committee and pilot teachers employ the data-driven time toolkit, a process that is authored by NGSS and approved by the California Department of Education and was shared in great depth at the March board meeting. The process requires a score to be given in each of the categories listed on this slide. In addition to a comprehensive scoring system, students and instructors were also asked to provide an evidence-based reflection of their experiences. The instructors came to their recommendations by combining the results of these two evaluative processes. As unique as NGSS is, we knew that we would need cutting-edge science materials that would bring these science standards to life. After month of months of dedicated work, our pilot teachers are recommending the following phenomenon-based materials that use a hands-on approach to inquiry-based learning. Our Living Earth Material is a research-based curricula from Inquiry Hub. STEM Scopes, a leader in STEM-based education, will be used in our Chemistry in the Earth System classes. And finally, Experience Physics is a phenomenon-driven text that our Physics in the Universe students will use. The consensus model used by our elective and AP instructors is also a data collection process that additionally relies on the instructor's expertise in their field. This model begins with the individual instructors researching possible texts to determine their selections. A copy of each instructor's selection is then shared to each member of the group, and they examine the materials privately to further the selection process. When the instructors come together, the remaining texts are scored in seven different content categories and six areas of organization. It's from this process that the recommendations are gathered. Between 12 and 15 years ago, our core AP science courses adopted their textbooks. Since that time, through much use, these materials are no longer in good physical condition. In addition, the rigors and expectations of knowledge for the AP exams have changed since their publication. By coming together to select new materials, our students across the district will all have the same consistent and most current curriculum. Two, addition, two additional science electives, College Preparatory Environmental Science and Anatomy and Physiology, will be offered at all four comprehensive high schools starting fall of 2022. These instructors also use a consensus model to determine their selections. Pending approval of the 30-day public display, all high school science textbooks will be available for the community to review at the Professional Development Academy. 
At the May 17th board meeting, once the display period has ended, we will ask for the full approval and adoption of our science materials. If the board approves these instructional materials, we will begin the transition process of implementing the curriculum later this spring. This will include ordering new materials and supplies, collecting outdated texts, and providing our instructors with professional <coughs> development. These new curricula would be in place for the 2022-2023 school year. Thank you, and are there any questions? Not really a question, but more of a comment. Um, I just want to thank everybody for all their work on all these different textbooks, and um, also thank you for filling up all my nights and weekends with all this exciting reading. We got a lot. I don't think my apologist is going to thank you, but it should be an interesting read yes. next month. Ms. Aguilar, real quick, uh, for parents that may not know, where is the Professional Development Academy located? It's on the corner of Yorba Linda Boulevard in Casaloma. And there's a building just to go through the main entrance and right at the reception areas where all the materials are on display. All right, any other questions, comments? Again, thank you so much for the presentation and all of our reading that we're going to be doing. Okay, so now we'll move into general functions, and um, we have three items there. Okay, so um, yes, Dr. L. Sasser, if you would start by the introduction for this one, please. Great. Good evening again, President Buck, trustees, and executive cabinet members, and community members. As you will recall, Resolution 2112 originated per the request of some trustees. The board first held a formal discussion about prohibiting the teaching of critical race theory at our October meeting. Then at both the November and December meetings, trustees discussed and modified a draft resolution with the intent of finalizing the document at a future study session. That study session then took place on March 23rd, giving trustees another opportunity to discuss and modify the language. The most recent version of the resolution is what is included for your consideration this evening. So, President Buck, I'll turn it back over to you this time. Okay. Um, I would need a motion to even begin. Well, I would like to propose a motion a little different than what we see here. Um, because of my looking into it, comments that were even made this evening, things that have been made at our study session. I would make a motion that we table this resolution and instead instead investigate the policy which our district does not have, uh, 6144 controversial issues. Okay. I'll second that and then we can have a discussion. The reason I, I say that is it was pointed out that um, there is nothing in the, the resolution that we have here this evening that addresses um, the issues when they arise, um, what is going to be um, under the guise of this resolution, what, what could be banned, what would become a question, uh, what are the processes, what are the consequences, but uh, as several districts, and I don't have a full list, but Saddleback, Tustin, Irvine, Capo, and uh, Claremont have all done this policy, and it may provide us a better tool 
uh, to discuss or, or deal, to deal with when they come up issues that are controversy, um, many of which are kind of under the umbrella, but yet this is big enough. It doesn't list them all. The, the list could go on forever if we were to think of it in terms of what this current uh, item before us might lead us to. So anyway, I would, I would propose that we not move forward with this and that we instead look at this as our approach to dealing with anything that is controversial. So um, I think what we said at the last board meeting was that we were going to move forward with this resolution, but this was also supposed to be the, uh, the board policy 6144 um, was actually going to be brought up at the end for the future agenda items, and we were going to agendize um, vote, speak about it, and vote to place this on the agenda for next month. So mm -hmm. I say that we um, continue going forward in the pattern we, or in the uh, matter manner that we were talk about it at our study session. I do agree. Um, we've had six months uh, discussing uh, this particular resolution and uh, it's time to get down to the brass tacks of, of putting it down. So. I also agree that we should move forward with this resolution. I think um, the controversial issue for policy 6144 is an important companion piece to go with it. And I think the two of them together should clear up a lot of misconceptions. But we've been working on this a, a long time and I think it's time to move forward. I would just conclude with my remark saying that um, it is not that this would of course supplant this one. This is to table the discussion tonight and consider this what you're saying about the companion piece, but I, I think that having this in a policy, which this is a resolution, this is a policy that one controversial issues. So that is my thought. And, and I will, and I will at the end of the meeting um, vote to make the policy on the next agenda. I don't think we future. have. I don't think we have. Do we have an action item to vote on it tonight? No, I, I don't have an action item, but that's what we were supposed to at the end when we do future. Board agendas that was going to be brought up for a vote to be placed on the next agenda. Right, it wasn't on our agenda last time, so we weren't able to discuss it. So that was going to be brought up tonight. Um, I would also like to table it, um, as our attorney told us last time. What we've created is something that we've created, and the board policy 6144 is a vetted, um, a vetted policy that's used in many different different districts that would cover. Um, the discussions and, and um, the policy over um, our classes, um, what you're discussing with critical race theory, um, and in addition to other controversial issues. Um, we haven't been able to work through all of that, so um, I think it's jumping the, the gun a little bit to um, if they're going to be in conjunction with each other. We haven't spoken about that one at all. So my interest would be to table it until we have the opportunity to do that. I think the three of us, there's a vote for three to go ahead and move forward with uh, the resolution. So we have right now um, have a motion on the floor, a motion okay. on the floor to table okay. it. So we'll need to call for a vote um, to table this motion. So all those in favor? Aye. Aye. And opposed? No. No. Okay, so that motion does not pass.
All right, President Brock, I'd like to make a motion to vote on resolution 2112 concerning district teaching and critical race theory as a framework on matters relating to race. I'll second. Okay, any discussion on that? No, we probably beat a beat that horse. Yeah, I think we beat that horse on this one. I have two, but I'll, I'll let you go. Let me just kind of write down the notes of what I just did that I just Oh, okay. I, see. I just, um, I have a few notes that I would like to address. Um, one is um, at our study session, we had kind of a conversation on, um, I brought up the fact that I thought, Slavery was a human issue, and it started at the beginning of time. And the discussion kind of went a little weird, and I didn't say anything because I didn't think I needed to bring facts. So I wanted to follow up on that, and I also want to be clear that I'm not arguing that other races were not slaves, or that even white slavery was the most common, only that it did exist. And so I brought with me some actual information on that. Um, um, the Vikings, starting in 1800 um, AD, um, were um, doing slavery, and this is from uh, a story in there. It says, the institution of slavery had long antidotes in Scandinavia, probably going back thousands of years before the time of the Vikings. By the 8th century AD, a considerable population of unfree people lived in the north. Their condition largely hereditary one built up over generations. In the Viking Age, this picture changed dramatically because for the first time, Scandinavians began to make the active acquisition of human chattel a key part of their economy. This was one of the primary objectives of Viking raids and military campaigns. And this result was a massive increase in the number of enslaved people in Scandinavia. And um, I went on to the Denmark National Museum, and there's actual artifacts of the Vikings, um, of their slave trades. And it's also, they say that slaves were amongst the most important commodities traded by the Vikings. They acquired slaves primarily on their expeditions to Eastern Europe and the British Isles. They could also obtain Viking slaves at home as crimes like murder and thievery were punished with slaves. And then another source, um, Christian slaves, Muslims masters, uh, white slaves in the Mediterranean, the Barbary Coast, and Italy between 1500 and 1800. There's a lot of evidence <coughs> that um, Barbary pirates collected slaves, and most of their accounts of slavery along the Barbary Coast, did, um, it's estimated that tens of thousands to 1.2 million European Christians were captured and forced to work in North Africa from 16th to 18th century. Barbary pirates were Muslims. Please keep your voices down. You aren't asked to participate at this point. Public comment is over. Muslims captured. And I also brought with you me tonight. This is my family history book. Um, this is the story of Jens and Meta um, Sorensen. This was book was compiled by my grandmother and my mom, and it was published in 1984. And I just would like to read a little bit of my family history from my Danish um, ancestors. They um, 
were born in Denmark. And um, in 1885 or 1886, and they were married in Denmark, and tells were circulated of vast fortunes to be made in Brazil. They were adventurous and willing to join the little colony. They sold all their possessions and went to that far off country. Conditions were not as anticipated. The language barrier was difficult and living conditions impossible. Things had been grossly misrepresented and they had to pick coffee beans to even exist. And um, this is what my grandfather said about this story. He says, mom told us that they had to leave under the cover of night with only the clothes on their back. The people for whom they worked refused to release them from their employ. They made their way through the infested jungle without even shoes. Snakes were very thick in that area. And they don't, my grandparents, my great-grandparents do not say that they were slaves. But when I read this, I feel like it is a part of slavery, some form of slavery. They, they weren't allowed to leave. They were trapped in a country that they didn't speak the language. And their shoes were taken away at night so that they would not escape. And they escaped through the jungle and made it back to the coast and worked on ships to get their fare back to Denmark where they started their life again, and then again realized that they were way too adventurous for me. I'm like, not even sure that these could be my grandparents because I'm not that adventurous since I've never left the country, basically. But um, then they traveled to the United States and um, where my grandfather was actually born. Um, also, there's, um, by the International Labor Office and Walk Free Foundation, published in, published in 2017, an estimated of 40.3 million people were victim of modern day slavery in 2016, and 24.9 million people were forced in labor. Women and girls are disproportionately affected by modern slavery, accounting for 28.7 million, or 71% of the overall total, and one in Four victims of modern slavery were children, 37%. And the U.S. Department um, of State of 2021 trafficking report says um, as reported over the past five years, human trafficking exploited domestic and foreign national victims in the United States, and traffickers exploited victims from the United States abroad. Human traffickers case has been reported in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the U.S. territories. And then in 2013, the Department of Justice report found, um, kind of listed the demographics of a human trafficking, and said 40% were black, 20%, 26% were white, 23% were Hispanic, 4% were Asian, and 6 were otherwise. And um, I noticed, but Orange County has their own human trafficking um, task force here. And they, their demographics are, of their victims are 83% of them are U.S. citizens, 17% are foreigners, and they break it down to 13% are Asian, 29% Black, 
24% Hispanic, 19% white, and 15% others. And then between the years of 2013 and 2018, a total of 504 cases of human trafficking were prosecuted here in Orange County. So I just want to say that human trafficking is and slavery has been a part of our human society since the dawn of time and continues today. And um, I even brought with me a little gift for everybody. These are um, fair trade candy bars that I bought at Trader Joe's and um, cocoa beans and coffee are still highly involved in the slave trade of people and um, I just want to bring awareness to this issue that it affects everybody and, it can, and it's happening in our back doors and we need to be aware of it we need to get educated we need to be smarter consumers and if you feel inclined, I suggest that you reach out to one of the many uh, nonprofit organizations that not only educate, but they also help victims and assist law enforcement with um, getting them surveillance technology, educating, and so that um, our officers are aware of the issue. So that's kind of what I want. I wanted to follow up on that because I feel like Modern day slavery is a giant issue and I don't want it to be brushed under the rug. So. And then I did want to propose a couple changes to the, um, let me get my pages straight. To the current um, resolution. In paragraph one, I want to remove the A in front of a high-quality education for grammar purposes. So I don't know what it is. Okay. Take out the A. Yeah. Um, everybody okay with that? I think it's quite okay the way it is with the A in front of high-quality education, but if it's the will of others, that's... Am I getting it? Yes. Also in paragraph nine, that's the paragraph where it says, whereas each individual can choose not to hold racist views and should be expected to do so, and that we can and should see one another as humans first, I would like to cross out the part about and should be expected to do so. Um, I feel like we're telling people how to think and we're, we're, we want to create critical thinkers, not how to think. So I would like that to be erased. Just those words? Just and should be expected to do so. Okay. Is everybody good with that? Yeah. Okay, and then also, I like to address the concerns of the AP because there seems to be a lot of misinformation out there about that. Um, currently, there's 14 states that have CRT laws. And currently, none of them have lost their AP standings. I've reviewed AP classes on literature and U.S. history, and I see no conflict. Um, 
I've read articles with teachers and states that have CRT laws see no conflict on the way that they teach. We are not banning topics. The resolution plainly states that this is about how, not what. And in an article um, about this subject, it says that while the College Board says the required topics, it does not specify how to go about teaching them. So, um, and then maybe to calm everyone else's fears, we can add an additional whereas, whereas this resolution will not alter the existing current content currently taught in all certified AP and IB courses so as not to jeopardize the integrity of the coursework and risk losing certification. And I would suggest putting that somewhere either under paragraph four or five. Can I ask you to repeat that statement? Yes. Whereas this resolution will not alter the existing content currently taught in all certified AP and IB courses so as not to jeopardize the integrity of the coursework and risk losing certification. It's been said many times that you know we're not teaching CRT, um, so this should not be a problem. Could you repeat that again? I apologize. No, that's can, fine. Can I repeat it? So I think I have it. Okay, thank you. Make sure. <clears throat> Whereas this resolution will not alter the existing content currently taught in all certified AP and IB courses so as not to jeopardize the integrity of the coursework and risk losing certification. That's correct. I'm fine with that and I think that that was a smart thing to, uh, to add in uh, because of all the confusion and the misinformation and just calming everybody's fears. You indicated this is this resolution is about how, not what. But aren't we talking about what when we call out something and say we're not going to do it? We're not using critical race theory as a framework on how we teach topics about race, not about what topics. Critical theory is known as a lens, like the lens that that is taught. Can I also ask, um, you mentioned placing the new paragraph after either current four or current five. I just need to know the little board where you like it. Anybody have an opinion? Looks like it uh, looks like it go between uh, right after four. Probably fit there better. Between five and six, I think is my preferred. That's fine. Okay. And that's all the changes that I see. Um, 
I just want to also address the concern that this is resolution is going to be used as a teacher trap or a gotcha moment. Um, there's a lot of concern and fear from our teachers about this. And so I want to just put on the record right now for me, the purpose is for setting a clear direction on how we want our students to learn about race. Um, it's to give direction on critical race theory. And the reason why I think that this resolution is important is because it's being pushed into our systems. Um, but I want to also make sure that we're supporting our teachers and giving them the help that they need. I don't want to be trapping our teachers. That's not my intention. And if someone sees it as this resolution is different, um, I'd like to hear that. I, like, like we brought up in the study session, you know, like if there's a concern, how is this addressed? And we went through the process with, of course, if there's a concern by a parent, they go to the principal, and then the principal investigates it. And there's a process in mind, and I don't see why there should be any other type of process put forward. Yeah, I'm good with that because that is exactly how when people come to the board, we have to say, please go to the principal and address this, and then you know you work through the system. So this would be done the same way as it is now, just as if any parent or student has a complaint about a teacher, it's handled in exactly the same way. Perfect. And then um, a lot of people ask, you know, well, why do this? And I have um, two things. One is the ethics settles model curriculum that was approved by our state number one evidence and then the second evidence that I would like to read which was put into our rec that we all received and that was put into record at the March 8th meeting by Mrs. Buck it says and this is a letter from the president of California State University Fullerton and this is the last paragraph of the letter it says and finally just as your graduates come to us we send our graduates to you Indeed, as the number one producer of K-12 teachers in Orange County, we at Cal State Fullerton are honored to populate the classroom and offices of the PYLUSD with Titan teachers and administrators. We are also proud that they come to you with the education to effectively explain and include CRT as well as ethnic studies in their classrooms, as well as promote diversity, equity, and inclusion, and social justice for all. And that is sincerely, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to, Virgie, Virgie, yeah, our most Virgie. So our, I feel like this resolution is important to pass because our teachers are coming into our district learning these principles and how to incorporate them in a K-12 setting. This is not um, imagination. It's clearly stated by my alma mater that this is what they're teaching our future teachers and so that's why I feel it's really important so that when teachers come to our district that they know that they can just leave that behind that they learn that in college but it's not appreciated or needed here that we, we teach race differently January 7th of this year. Dear board members, 
on behalf of the faculty, staff, and students of the only CSU in the service region and the largest undergraduate university in the state, I write to discourage you from passing a ban on critical race theory or any limits on teaching, diversity, equity, and inclusion in our classrooms and communities. So keeping in mind, it may have ended in that, that it began with asking or suggesting they would really be the perverse not to do this. I do have some things, so bear with me. I too have been thinking about this for a while because I never thought, I've heard the expression banned in Boston for so long growing up, but I never thought we'd see it here. I never expected censorship, censorship. but I have some thoughts that I want to share. Um, yes, I'm reading. I don't know if anyone has a problem, but I do wish the audience would be polite. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Uh, we must recognize that each of our students is unique and, and face uh, unique challenges, some of them more than others, and our district should never create obstacles or impediments which would compromise the quality of the educational experience for students. In the early stages of creating a new elective, a new set of unfamiliar words entered the scene, critical race theory, or CRT. Rapidly, this set of words has been turned into an assertion that our district has been in the past or is about to venture into teaching diverse, divisive, race-shaming social classes. That our what I find most, most interesting that is in past years, we worked hard to further our support of all students and to bring more equity to educational opportunities. Have we achieved all that we want to do? No, <clears throat> of course we don't stop trying on that. So why is this resolution here? It, in my opinion, is misleading at best. At its worst, this resolution positions our educational program for abridgment of free speech and the creation of censorship and bans. This change creates obstacles and impediments for students' success. If students aren't able to have access to rigorous coursework, the impact will be real. I had some more thoughts over these last months, especially the last few weeks. When we go to school, we start learning about the question words, and we have the, the question words, who, what, where, when, how, why. And we have, you know, what is your name? Who's your favorite hero? When were you born? Where do you live, etc. But if the future of education in this district <clears throat> includes bans and lists of topics that can't be discussed, what will become of the question words? We all know the oft-used joke, why did the chicken cross over the road? Well, I'm worried that in the future we can ask what chicken crossed over the road, when did the chicken cross over the road, where did it cross over, how did it cross over, but we may be stifled to ask why. Okay, so this is where I have more to say. Placentia well, Berlin, the Unified has long prided itself as a unique place to learn. We talk about the PYL advantage, always striving to ensure that our students will have the advantage of an outstanding education. When efforts are made to create lists of what may or may not be taught, the inherent risk is that the education will not meet the curriculum standards, whether it's ours or the state's. I anticipate that the curriculum will suffer the consequence of dumbing down, which I heard mentioned tonight. 
uh, of what is taught in our district. As board members, we have the responsibility to create a vision and to set goals for the district. In fact, each year we spend considerable time reviewing and approving the LCAP, which has been mentioned already and we have that coming up. Last year, we participated in a discussion of the five focus areas and the plans of action needed to accomplish those goals. Those five areas are academic achievement, effective instruction and leadership, engaged community, safe and respectful environments, optimized resources. I'm not seeing anything that assists in accomplishing our goals. I will not go into all the items that I broke out as how I see this failing that. But I will say this. There is no place for censorship or bans in our district. Our students deserve access to a full education. Our highly qualified educators are ready and able to teach students and help them achieve academic success. Our goal should never be to graduate modern day Rip Van Winkles. The long ago story written in 1819 by Washington Irving about a Dutch villager living near the Catskill Mountains tells the tale of how he walks out into the hills by his village, meets a group of strangers who encourage him to drink a magic potion, and he falls into a deep sleep for 20 years. He wakes two decades later to a vastly changed world. He slept through the American Revolution. A picture of King George III no longer graces the wall on the village inn. Instead, there's a painting of George Washington hanging in his place. Fellow villagers have aged. Some of his family members are deceased or certainly much older than he remembers. All in all, everything has changed and he's behind the times. If our students are shortchanged in their education, others will pass them by on the road to success. How does this resolution help prepare each and every student for success now and in the future? That is why I would not support this. I have some comments as well. So I've been a parent in this district since 2004. And I've been in the schools at least one time a week and sometimes up to five times a week. That's 18 years, 180 days a year, 40 weeks. That ends up being 2,160 times that I've been in a school. That was just before I got on the school board. In the last 12 years, I attempt to get to every school every year. And not only do I do that, I attempt to get into every single classroom. So in a small school like Rose Drive, Topaz, or Ruby Drive, where I've been this week, there are a minimum of 20 classrooms. So just imagine what that is. So this year alone, I've made it to 21 schools. So my goal is to get there, um, and this year I came close, um, and, um, I, and I will finish. Um, and I see teachers teaching students to be good citizens, to be kind, to work collaboratively with everyone in their class. I see teachers who want the best education for all of their students, so they can um, do whatever they want when they grow up, and the teachers see it as their duty to prepare them and to make them feel welcomed, recognized, and respected. When I walk through classrooms, I see students engaged in group discussion, helping each other, working together, and finding solutions. They are artists, scientists, historians, writers, and mathematicians. 
They're developing character traits like grit and perseverance. And when you're in a class and you see the excitement on their face when they get the answer or the spark in their eye when they figure out something that's difficult, you can't match it. So our curriculum has never been and isn't CRT. This resolution is politically driven and it serves to ban and censor. Curriculum development belongs in the hands of our educators. Our process of approving curriculum is done, as you've heard tonight, starting with credentialed professional teachers. They review, research, and provide input for adjustments that go on, and then you all and us get to review that for 30 days. When we get to the next point, we get to approve that curriculum or not. Any curriculum, including ethnic studies, including anything that would have to do with history, AP, IB. This ban is just censorship, and it's not going to leave us as a board from doing our job as a, as to review and approve curriculum or not approve it. This is being done to fit an agenda and not wanted by the majority of our community, parents, teacher, and most importantly, as you've seen tonight, our students. And I don't know if this is true, and I couldn't ask because that would be a Brown Act violation, is that one of our board members thinks that 50% of our teacher teachers wants, want this resolution to pass. And I can tell you right now, that's wrong. after teacher and that's not what they want I've also talked to students and I've talked to parents and you're not listening to everyone that's right, that's right. So now, I don't care about children and families they're wrong and my experience and my time and track record show otherwise I was put into this position because the community trusts me to make decisions that are good for all students and that's why I will vote no on this resolution, and I will continue to focus on doing my job by reviewing all curriculum and approve only what is best for all kids. I would also like to point out that the numbers, uh, I've been tracking this since this began, and I have an ongoing list of people that support it and don't support it. And I've cross-referenced, removed double names, and I have over 700 people now that are opposed to this resolution and 160 that are for it. ages, the response for 18 to 24, they got a 2% um, response rate. For 25 to 34, there was a 2% response rate. 
for the age 35 to 44, there was a 65% response rate, 45 to 54, there was a 7.32 response rate, 55 and above, there was a 21% response rate. The question was, do you have children in public schools? The answer, yes, 63%, no, was 36%. How would you describe critical race theory? 21% said that there is an inherent institutional racism in America as a result, society is still racial and equal and needs to be changed, that was 21%. Critical race theory has Americans separated by race into oppressors and victims and divides Americans. 51% of the respondents said yes, and 4% of the respondents said others. 17% said none of the above. The question, do you believe that critical race theory should be taught in public schools? Yes, 19%. No, 75%. Yeah. only for our district. These are what our responses were. Do you believe that critical race theory should be a requirement for high school graduation? The yes respondents were 14%. The no respondents were 82%. into it's not in our curriculum we approve all the curriculum but what everyone fails to say is the supplemental curriculum we have so much supplemental curriculum that we don't see and that we don't have a pulse on and everybody knows this every teacher knows this we have teachers who don't use textbooks our curriculum is 20 years old so people have gone elsewhere that is not a lie it's on youtube it's uh programs it's from other districts it's all of this stuff so to just say that it's not in our schools. My kids, three of my kids have been taught CRT. And that has been in the last five years, all three of them. In 2017 and 2018, we didn't know what critical race theory was. We just thought they were just teaching communism. But then now that we've identified what critical race theory is, we now know that, that, my, that my oldest kid was taught critical race theory in high school. And that I have two additional kids who have identified, and we've identified what has come into the classroom as critical race theory. We have tons of parents who have come forward and said this. And so to say that it's not being taught, it's just not true. It's just not true. And to, and to, to just say, well, we approve the curriculum, we do this. Yes, we do, but there's so much else that comes in. Like, how many examples have we given of all of the stuff that's brought in and that's taught? None. Who said that? And so another thing too, so you know I have a lot of um, stalkers on Twitter and so one person said, who is a teacher? And so he always has a lot to say it appears. But one of the things that was said was, well, now the conservative white folks are putting up a hissy fit. I will be teaching CRT in my class. I'm not down with stifling academic freedom and dumbing down our students. Racism against white people doesn't exist. Discrimination and prejudice against white people may exist, but not racism. Racism is the presence of discrimination and power, and if you look at our society, you'll see that much of the power is still controlled by white folks. And also a quote from some of the CRT who are saying that it is not racist. White racial awareness is always necessary and always negative. 
There is no such thing as a positive white identity. And I, too, have heard from a lot of the teachers, and there's a lot of teachers who have said this should not be taught in our schools. Yes, you have some teachers who are, who are saying, yes, teach it. But we also have to realize, too, and this is not going to be a popular thing because it never is, but this is a workplace. So what the district states as the standard, that's what goes. Teachers are employees of the district. So if the district says that this should be taught, then that's what you do because that's what your employer says. When I was a police officer, I couldn't go to, to radio calls, and I couldn't, you know, I didn't really have a First Amendment. I was there to do my job. I was representing my employer. Whoa! You're broke. Yeah, you should leave. For that I was representing. I was representing my department, so I couldn't talk about my political affiliation. I couldn't talk about my religious affiliation because I was there to do a job, and that's the same thing that is hap that happens in the classroom. That I think that for some reason we've gotten away from is that from what we've all been told is that there are no teachers don't have this the same. They don't have a first amendment. You're supposed to teach what you're hired to teach. And so I don't know why we've just gotten so that it's censorship. If you don't know, your employer is telling you to teach this curriculum. And so this is what you're supposed to teach. Like, I don't know why. And, and this is the thing. This is the thing. So in, in outside of teaching, this is what people do not understand is why it's okay for someone to teach whatever you want to teach and to go possibly against what the district says or to go against what the curriculum is. When outside of this, it wouldn't be appropriate and you would probably be disciplined and lose your job. And so when we talk about things like this, this is real. It's happened to my kids. It's happened to other kids. We've heard tons of stories about it. So to just sit here and say, it's not real. This is made up. This is censorship. This is like real stuff. And we've heard kids at the podium say that it's being taught. And so I don't understand how we sit here and say, well, it's just not being taught. It's not being taught. So I, uh, and, and I'm going to read to what, I mean, and to say it's not being pushed in, if like, if we're really going to start talking about what's being pushed in, I mean, in the CTA, So in our CTA 2022 Equity and Human Rights Conference, the topics for discussion were not about how we're teaching our kids to understand math and reading better, or the sciences, or how to make um, our classrooms better. What was being taught was topics of CRT, creating authentic ethnic studies pathways from high school to college, making Black Lives Matter in the classroom, eroding white supremacy, dismantling the myth of meritocracy, embedding ethnic studies in your curriculum, male privilege, empowering student activists. No, Karen, there is no boogeyman, debunking myths of critical race during conversation, using picture books to explore power and understand inequity. From a trickle to a tsunami, transforming self and social networks to activists in the age of unabashed white supremacy. White and straight fragility with apologies to Robin D'Angelo. And then one of the last ones was unabashed white supremacy. And so to sit here and say that this is not being supported by the teachers union and not 
be taught in the classroom. It's just silly because we've had teachers who tell us that in professional development, they're not learning how to teach their class of second graders how to read better, how to do math better. It's stuff like this that they're being taught. And so I feel like we're just getting out. We're not censoring anybody. Look at our numbers tonight. Like we've improved, but why are we messing around with this stuff instead of just educating children? and to get a good education here. I don't want my politics, I don't want your politics, I don't want anybody's politics in there. I do believe in teaching kids to think critically. But there are so many classes, like the library, there are so many things you can teach your kids at home. If you really are passionate about these subjects, then teach them. But just the people who are against it, it shouldn't be forced. And I guess that's where we're coming from, is so many people feel that this is being forced onto their children, and they don't want it but they can't control what's in the classroom. And so my thing is, I ran on this, I was elected on this, return to traditional curriculum and keep the politics, the social justice, all of the noise out and just educate our kids. Yes! We have a motion on the table, can we go ahead and Okay. So unless there's nothing else. Okay. Go ahead and take that vote. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. And opposed? No. No. The student board member voted no. Correct. Okay, so I'll read that back out. The vote on the resolution 21-12 was voted three to two to be approved with a, with a no from the student board member. Resolution uh, number 21-21 designating the week of May 1st through 7th, 2022 as California Week of the Teacher. I'd like to second that. So the motion by Mrs. Freeman and second by Mrs. Bach to support our teachers. Thank you. All of those in favor? Aye. Motion carries 5-0 from from our student board moment. And I'm going to the sleep, and I'll let you go for tonight. I know you wanted to be here for this, so enjoy your night and all of the rest of you. Okay, so we're um, going to start with our next general question. Do we need to Oh, we would like, um, Mr. Lopez is gonna um, to talk about this resolution and the classified both at the same time. Thank you, President. 
Tonight, we bring forward for board consideration a resolution to designate May 1st through 7th, 2022 as California Week of the Teacher. The Central Yorba Linda Unified School District is proud to have teachers who devote themselves each day to the success of our students and in doing so, the future of our nation. It is now my pleasure to introduce Apple President Linda Mannion to read the resolution. <laughs> Good evening. I'm very proud to be here tonight to recognize our teachers and um, our students who are a, a, an honor to your teachers and, and the jobs that they've done. Wonderful speaking. California Week of the Teacher Proclamation, Resolution Number 2121. Whereas California's teachers are among the best educated, most credentialed, and hardest working educators in the country. And whereas the prosperity of our state and our nation is determined by the skills and abilities of the next generation, and whereas our students depend on educators to guide them on the road to success, and whereas the innovation, creativity, and problem-solving skills needed to maintain California's leading edge derives from the quality of its teachers, and whereas teacher quality depends on a citizenry that values education and provides the resources needed to support it. And whereas good teaching grows in value and pays dividends far beyond the classroom. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Placentia Yorba Linda Unified School District Board of Education designates May 1st through 7th, 2022 as California Week of the Teacher. The board encourages all students, parents, and school district employees to participate in celebrations that express and show appreciation to the amazing teachers throughout the Placentia Yorba Linda Unified School District. Thank you. Okay, um, and we have passed that, so we'll move on to our next item. Um, Mr. Lopez. Thank you. Tonight we bring forward for board consideration a resolution to designate May 15th through 21st, 2022 as Classified School Employee Week. The Placentia Yorba Linda Unified School District is grateful to have amazing classified employees who daily support the success of our students, staff, and school community. It is now my pleasure to introduce CSEA Chapter 293 President Job Suarez to read the resolution. And Joe, as you make your way up here, we're going to um, take a motion in a second for that. Okay. You want it now? Um, don't we usually do it before? And then okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll make the motion. And I'll second. Okay. Mr. Suarez. Okay. Good evening, President Buck and school board members. And good evening, uh, Dr. Alsasser and Assistant Superintendents. Resolution. Uh, Okay, Placentia uh, Yorba Linda Unified School District Resolution 2122, Classified School Employees Week. Whereas classified school employees are extraordinary workers who provide essential service and contribute to the everyday operations of our schools. And whereas classified employees are often the first faces who greet visitors to our school district, and whereas Classified employees are hardworking, dedicated, professional, 
many who are often behind the scenes, keeping the operations working smoothly. And whereas classified employees are important members of our Placentia Yorba Linda uh, Unified School District team. Now, therefore, be it resolved that Placentia Yorba Linda Unified School District Board of Education designates May 15th through the 21st, 2022 as classified school employee a week. The board salutes our classified employees and encourages the community to thank them for being extraordinary workers who provide essential work. They make the PYLUSD an enjoyable place to go to school. Five-minute break. Is that okay with everyone? Five-minute break. Oops. 